This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Today's podcast features a LibriVox recording of the anonymous Old Norse Volsunga Saga, translated into English by Erikur Magnusson and William Morris. It runs just under four hours. Afterwards, I'll be discussing the saga with Jesse and Mr. Jim Moon. Volsunga Saga by Anonymous Translated by Erikur Magnusson and William Morris Chapter 1 Heer Heverup here begins the tale, and tells of a man who was named Sigi, and called of men, the son of Odin. Another man withal is told of in the tale, hight Skadi, a great man and mighty of his hands. Yet was Sigi the mightier and the higher of kin, according to the speech of men of that time. Now Skadi had a thrall with whom the story must deal somewhat, Brethi by name who was called after that work which he had to do. In prowess and might of hand, he was equal to men who were held more worthy, yea, and better than some thereof. Now it is to be told that on a time Sigi fared to the hunting of the deer, and the thrall with him, and they hunted deer day-long till the evening. And when they gathered together their prey in the evening, lo, greater and more by far was that which Brethi had slain than Sigi's prey. And this thing he much misliked, and he said that great wonder it was that a very thrall should outdo him in the hunting of deer. So he fell on him, and slew him, and buried the body of him thereafter in a snowdrift. Then he went home at evening tide, and says that Brethi had ridden away from him into the wildwood. Soon was he out of my sight, he says, and not more I wot of him. Skadi misdoubted the tale of Sigi, and deemed that this was a guile of his, and that he would have slain Brethi. So he sent men to seek for him, and to such an end came their seeking that they found him in a certain snowdrift. Then said Skadi that men should call that snowdrift Brethi's Drift from henceforth, and thereafter have folk followed, so that in such wise they call every drift that is right great. Thus it is well seen that Sigi has slain the thrall and murdered him. So he is given forth to be a wolf in holy places, and may no more abide in the land with his father. Therewith Odin bare him fellowship from the land, so long away that right long it was, and made no stay till he brought him to certain warships. So Sigi falls to lying out a warring, with the strength that his father gave him or ever they parted. And happy was he in his warring, and ever prevailed, till he brought it about that he won by his wars land and lordship at the last. And thereupon he took to him a noble wife, and became a great and mighty king, and ruled over the land of the Huns, and was the greatest of warriors. He had a son by his wife, who was called Rerir, who grew up in his father's house, and soon became great of growth and shapely. Chapter 2 Now Sigi grew old, and had many to envy him, so that at last those turned against him whom he trusted most, yea, even the brothers of his wife. For these fell on him at his unwariest, when there were few with him to withstand them, and brought so many against him that they prevailed against him, and there fell Sigi and all his folk with him. But Rerir his son was not in this trouble, and he brought together so mighty a strength of his friends and the great men of the land, that he got to himself both the lands and kingdom of Sigi his father. And so now, 
When he deems that the feet under him stand firm in his rule, then he calls to mind that which he had against his mother's brothers, who had slain his father. So the king gathers together a mighty army and therewith falls on his kinsmen, deeming that if he made their kinship of small account, yet nonetheless they had first wrought evil against him. So he wrought his will herein, in that he departed not from strife before he had slain all his father's banesmen, though dreadful the deed seemed in every wise. So now he gets land, lordship, and fee, and has become a mightier man than his father before him. Much wealth won in war got rarer to himself, and wedded a wife withal, such as he deemed meet for him. And long they lived together, but had no child to take the heritage after them. And ill content they both were with that, and prayed the gods with heart and soul that they might get them a child. And so it is said that Odin hears their prayer, and Freya, no less, hearkens wherewith they prayed unto her. So she, never lacking for all good counsel, calls to her her casket-bearing May, the daughter of Hrimnir the giant, and sets an apple in her hand, and bids her bring it to the king. She took the apple, and did on her the gear of a crow, and went flying till she came whereas the king sat on a mound, and there she let the apple fall into the lap of the king. But he took the apple, and deemed he knew whereto it would avail. So he goes home from the mound to his own folk, and came to the queen, and some deal of that apple she ate. So, as the tale tells, the queen soon knew that she was big with child, but a long time war or ever she might give birth to the child. So it befell that the king must needs go to the wars, after the custom of kings, that he may keep his own land in peace. And in this journey it came to pass that Rerir fell sick and got his death, being minded to go home to Odin, a thing much desired of many folk in those days. Now, no otherwise it goes with the queen's sickness than heretofore, nor may she be the lighter of her child. And six winters wore away with the sickness still heavy on her, so that at the last she feels that she may not live long. Wherefore now she bade cut the child from out of her, and it was done, even as she bade. A man-child was it, and great of growth from his birth, as well might be. And they say that the youngling kissed his mother or ever she died. But to him a name is given, and he is called Volsung, and he was king over Hunland in the room of his father. From his early years he was big and strong, and full of daring in all manly deeds and trials, and he became the greatest of warriors, and of good hap in all the battles of his warfaring. Now when he was fully come to man's estate, Hrimnir the giant sends to him Hlioth, his daughter, she of whom the tale told that she brought the apple to Rerir, Volsung's father. So Volsung weds her withal, and long they abode together with good hap and great love. They had ten sons and one daughter, and their eldest son was hight Sigmund, and their daughter Signy, and these two were twins, and in all wise the foremost and the fairest of the children of Volsung the king, and mighty, as all his seed was, even as has been long told from ancient days and in tales of long ago, with the greatest fame of all men how that the Volsungs have been great men and high-minded and far above the most of men, both in cunning and in prowess and in all things high and mighty. So says the story that King Volsung let build a noble hall in such a wise that a big oak tree stood therein, and that the limbs of the tree blossomed fair out over the roof of the hall, while below stood the trunk within it, and the said trunk 
did men call Bronstock. Chapter 3 There was a king called Sigir, who ruled over Gothland, a mighty king and of many folk. He went to meet Volsung the king, and prayed him for Signy his daughter to wife. And the king took his talk well, and his sons withal, but she was loath thereto. Yet she bade her father rule in this as in all other things that concerned her. So the king took such reed that he gave her to him, and she was betrothed to King Sigir. And for the fulfilling of the feast and the wedding was King Sigir to come to the house of King Volsung. The king got ready the feast according to his best might, and when all things were ready, came the king's guests and King Sigir with all of the day appointed, and many a man of great account had Sigir with him. The tale tells that great fires were made and long the hall, and the great tree aforesaid stood midmost thereof. With all folks say that when as men sat by the fires in the evening, a certain man came into the hall, unknown of aspect to all men, and such like array he had, that over him was a spotted cloak, and he was barefoot, and had linen breeches knit tight even unto the bone, and he had a sword in his hand as he went up to the bronze-stock, and a slouched hat upon his head. Huge he was, and seeming ancient, and one-eyed. So he drew his sword, and smote it into the tree-trunk, so that it sank in up to the hilts and all held back from greeting the man. Then he took up the word, and said, Sa erthesus verthi bregther or stokinum, Tha skal sa that thigya admirat gyof, Ox skal han that sielfer sanna, At aldri barhan betras verthsieri hindi, In theta er. Whoso draweth this sword from this stock, Shall have the same as a gift from me and shall find in good sooth that never bear he better sword in hand than is this. Therewith out went the old man from the hall, and none knew who he was or whither he went. Now men stand up, and none would fain be the last to lay hand to the sword, for they deemed that he would have the best of it who might first touch it. So all the noblest went thereto first, and then the others, one after another, but none who came thereto might avail to pull it out, for in no wise would it come away, howsoever they tugged at it. But now up comes Sigmund, King Volsung's son, and sets hand to the sword, and pulls it from the stock, even as if it lay loose before him. So good that weapon seemed to all, that none thought he had seen such a sword before, and Sigir would fain buy it of him at thrice its weight of gold. But Sigmund said, Thou mightest have taken the sword no less than I from there whereas it stood, if it had been thy lot to bear it. But now, since it is first of all fallen into my hand, never shalt thou have it, though thou biddest therefore all the gold thou hast. King Sigir grew wroth at these words, and deemed Sigmund had answered him scornfully. But whereas he was a wary man and a double dealing, he made as if he heeded this matter in no wise. Yet that same evening he thought how he might reward it, as was well seen afterwards. Chapter 4 Now it is to be told that Sigir goes to bed by Signy that night. And the next morning the weather was fair. Then says King Sigir that he will not bide, lest the wind should wax or the sea grow impassable. Nor is it said that Volsung or his sons letted him herein, and that the less, because they saw that he was fain to get him gone from the feast. 
But now says Signy to her father, I have no will to go away with Sigir, neither does my heart smile upon him. And I wot, by my foreknowledge and from the fetch of our kin, that from this council will great evil fall on us, if this wedding be not speedily undone. Speak in no such wise, daughter, said he, for great shame will it be to him, yea, and to us also, to break truth with him, he being sackless. And in naught may we trust him, and no friendship shall we have of him, if these matters are broken off, but he will pay us back in as evil wise as he may, for that alone is seemly, to hold truly to truth given. So King Sigir got ready for home, and before he went from the feast, he bade King Volsung, his father-in-law, come see him in Gothland, and all his sons with him, whenas three months should be overpassed, and to bring such following with him as he would have, and as he deemed meet for his honor, and thereby will Sigir the king pay back for the shortcomings of the wedding feast, in that he would abide thereat but one night only, a thing not according to the want of men. So King Volsung gave his word to come on the day named, and the kinsmen-in-law parted, and Sigir went home with his wife. Chapter 5 Now tells the tale of King Volsung and his sons, that they go at the time appointed to Gothland at the bidding of King Sigir, and put off from the land in three ships, all well manned, and have a fair voyage, and made Gothland late of an evening tide. But that same night came Signy, and called her father and brothers to a privy talk, and told them what she deemed King Sigir was minded to do, and how that he had drawn together an army no man may meet. And, says she, he is minded to do guilefully by you, wherefore I bid you get ye gone back again to your own land, and gather together the mightiest power ye may, and then come back hither and avenge you. Neither go ye now to your undoing, for ye shall surely fail not to fall by his wiles, if ye turn not on him, even as I bid you. Then spake Volsung the king, All people and nations shall tell of the word I spake, yet being unborn, wherein I vowed a vow that I would flee in fear from neither fire nor the sword. Even so have I done hitherto. And shall I depart therefrom now I am old? Yea, withal, never shall the maidens mock these my sons at the games, and cry out at them that they fear death. Once alone must all men need die, and from that season shall none escape. So my read it is that we flee no whither, but do the work of our hands in as manly wise as we may. A hundred fights have I fought, and whiles I had more, and whiles I had less, and yet ever had I the victory. Nor shall it ever be heard tell of me that I fled away, or prayed for peace. Then Signy wept right sore, and prayed that she might not go back to King Sigir. But King Volsung answered, Thou shalt surely go back to thine husband, and abide with him, howsoever it fares with us. So Signy went home, and they abode there that night. But in the morning, as soon as it was day, Volsung bade his men arise and go a land, and make them ready for battle. So they went a land, all of them all armed, and had not long to wait before Sigir fell on them with all his army. And the fiercest fight there was betwixt them, and Sigir cried on his men to the onset all he might. And so the tale tells that King Volsung and his sons went eight times right through Sigir's folk that day, smiting and hewing on either hand. But when they would do so, even once again, King Volsung fell amidst his folk, 
and all his men withal, saving his ten sons. For mightier was the power against them than they might withstand. But now are all his sons taken, and laid in bonds, and led away. And Signy was wherewithal that her father was slain, and her brothers taken and doomed to death, that she called King Sigurd apart to talk with him, and said, This will I pray of thee, that thou let not slay my brothers hastily, but let them be set awhile in the stocks. For home to me comes the saw that says, Sweet to eye while seen. But longer life I pray not for them, because I wot well that my prayer will not avail me. Then answered Sigir, Surely thou art mad and witless, praying thus for more bail for thy brothers than their present slaying. Yet this will I grant thee. For the better it likes me, the more they must bear, and the longer their pain is, or ever death come to them. Now he let it be done even as she prayed, and a mighty beam was brought, and set on the feet of those ten brethren in a certain place of the wildwood, and there they sit, day-long, until night. But at midnight, as they sat in the stocks, there came on them a she-wolf from out of the wood. Old she was, and both great and evil of aspect, and the first thing she did was to bite one of those brethren till he died, and then she ate him up withal, and went on her way. But the next morning Signy sent a man to the brethren, even one whom she most trusted, to wot of the tidings. And when he came back he told her that one of them was dead, and great and grievous she deemed it, if they should all fare in likewise, and yet naught might she avail them. Soon is the tale told thereof. Nine nights together came the she-wolf at midnight, and each night slew and ate up one of the brethren, until all were dead save Sigmund only. So now, before the tenth night came, Signy sent that trusty man to Sigmund her brother, and gave honey into his hand, bidding him do it over Sigmund's face, and set a little deal of it in his mouth. So he went to Sigmund, and did as he was bidden, and then came home again. And so the next night came the she-wolf according to her wont, and would slay him, and eat him even as his brothers, but now she sniffs the breeze from him, whereas he was anointed with the honey, and licks his face all over with her tongue, and then thrusts her tongue into the mouth of him. No fear he had thereof, but caught the she-wolf's tongue betwixt his teeth, and so hard she started back thereat, and pulled herself away so mightily, setting her feet against the stocks, that all was riven asunder. But he ever held so fast that the tongue came away by the roots, and thereof she had her bane. But some men say that this same she-wolf was the mother of King Sigir, who had turned herself into this likeness by troll's lore and witchcraft. Chapter 6 Now when as Sigmund is loosed and the stocks are broken, he dwells in the woods and holds himself there. But Signy sends yet again to wot of the tidings, whether Sigmund were alive or no. But when those who were sent came to him, he told them all as it had betid, and how things had gone betwixt him and the wolf. So they went home and tell Signy the tidings. But she goes and finds her brother, and they take counsel in such wise as to make a house underground in the wild wood. And so things go on a while, Signy hiding him there, 
and sending him such things as he needed. But King Sigir deemed that all the Volsungs were dead. Now, Sigir had two sons by his wife, whereof it is told that when the eldest was ten winters old, Signy sends him to Sigmund so that he might give him help if he would in any wise strive to avenge his father. So the youngling goes to the wood and comes late in evening tide to Sigmund's earth house. And Sigmund welcomed him in seemly fashion and said that he should make ready their bread. But I, said he, will go seek firewood. Therewith he gives the meal bag into his hands while he himself went to fetch firing. But when he came back, the youngling had done naught at the bread-making. Then asks Sigmund if the bread be ready. Says the youngling, I durst not set hand to the meal-sack, because somewhat quick lay in the meal. Now Sigmund deemed he wotted that the lad was of no such heart as that he would be fain to have him for his fellow. And when he met his sister, Sigmund said that he had come no nigher to the aid of a man though the youngling were with him. Then said Signy, Take him and kill him, then, for why should such an one live longer? And even so he did. So this winter wears, and the next winter Signy sent her next son to Sigmund. And there is no need to make a long tale thereof, for in likewise went all things, and he slew the child by the counsel of Signy. Chapter 7 So on a tide it befell, as Signy sat in her bower, that there came to her a witch-wife exceeding cunning. And Signy talked with her in such wise. Fain am I, says she, that we should change semblances together. She says, Even as thou wilt then. And so by her wiles she brought it about that they changed semblances. And now the witch-wife sits in Signy's place, according to her reed, and goes to bed by the king that night, and he knows not that he has other than Signy beside him. But the tale tells of Signy that she feared to the earth-house of her brother, and prayed him give her harboring for the night. For I have gone astray, abroad in the woods, and know not whither I am going. So he said she might abide, and that he would not refuse harbor to one lone woman, deeming that she would scarce pay back his good cheer by tail-bearing. So she came into the house, and they sat down to meet. And his eyes were often on her, and a goodly and fair woman she seemed to him. But when they are full, then he says to her that he is right fain that they should have but one bed that night. She nowise turned away therefrom. And so, for three nights together, he laid her in bed by him. Thereafter she fared home, and found the witch-wife, and bade her change semblances again, and she did so. Now as time wears, Signy brings forth a man-child, who was named Sinfjotli. And when he grew up he was both big and strong and fair of face, and much like unto the kin of the Volsungs. And he was hardly yet ten winters old when she sent him to Sigmund's earth-house. But this trial she had made of her other sons, or ever she had sent them to Sigmund, that she had sewed gloves unto their hands through flesh and skin, 
and they had borne it ill, and cried out thereat. And this she now did to Sinfiatli, and he changed countenance in no wise thereat. Then she flayed off the kirtle, so that the skin came off with the sleeves, and said that this would be torment enough for him. But he said, Full little would Volzong have felt such a smart as this. So the lad came to Sigmund. And Sigmund bade him knead their meal up while he goes to fetch firing. So he gave him the meal sack, and then went after the wood. And by then he came back had Sinfjotli made an end of his baking. Then asked Sigmund, If he had found nothing in the meal? I misdoubted me that there was something quick in the meal when I first fell to kneading of it. But I have kneaded it all up together, both the meal and that which was therein, whatsoever it was. Then Sigmund laughed out. He said, Not will thou eat of this bread to-night, for the most deadly of worms hast thou kneaded up therewith. Now Sigmund was so mighty a man that he might eat venom and have no hurt therefrom, but Sinfjotli might abide whatso venom came on the outside of him, but might neither eat nor drink thereof. Chapter 8 The tale tells that Sigmund thought Sinfjotli over-young to help him to his revenge, and will first of all harden him with manly deeds. So in summer-tide they fare wide through the woods, and slay men for their wealth. Sigmund deems him to take much after the kin of the Volsungs, though he thinks that he is Sigir's son, and deems him to have the evil heart of his father, with the might and daring of the Volsungs. Withal he must needs think him in no wise a kinsome man, for full oft would he bring Sigmund's wrongs to his memory, and prick him on to slay King Sigir. Now on a time as they fare abroad in the woods for the getting of wealth, they find a certain house, and two men with great gold rings asleep therein. Now these twain were spellbound skin-changers, and wolf-skins were hanging up over them in the house, and every tenth day might they come out of those skins, and they were king's sons. So Sigmund and Sinfjotli do the wolf-skins on them, and then might they nowise come out of them, though forsooth the same nature went with them as heretofore. They howled as wolves howl, but both knew the meaning of that howling. They lay out in the wildwood, and each went his way, and a word they made betwixt them, that they should risk the onset of seven men, but no more, and that he who was first to be set on should howl in wolfish wise. Let us not depart from this, says Sigmund. For thou art young and overbold, and men will deem the quarry good when they take thee. Now each goes his way. And when they were parted, Sigmund meets certain men and gives forth a wolf's howl. And when Sinfjotli heard it, he went straightway thereto and slew them all. And once more they parted. But ere Sinfjotli has fared long through the woods, eleven men meet him. And he wrought in such wise that he slew them all and was wearied therewith, and crawls under an oak, and there takes his rest. Then came Sigmund thither, and said, Why didst thou not call on me? Sinfjotli said, I was loath to call for thy help for the slaying of eleven men, 
Then Sigmund rushed at him so hard that he staggered and fell, and Sigmund bit him in the throat. Now that day they might not come out of their wolfskins. But Sigmund lays the other on his back, and bears him home to the house, and cursed the wolf-gears, and gave them to the trolls. Now on a day he saw where two weasels went, and how that one bit the other in the throat, and then ran straightway into the thicket, and took up a leaf and laid it on the wound, and thereon his fellow sprang up quite and clean whole. So Sigmund went out, and saw a raven flying with a blade of that same herb to him. So he took it, and drew it over Sinfietli's hurt, and he straightway sprang up as whole as though he had never been hurt. Thereafter they went home to their earth-house, and abode there till the time came for them to put off the wolf-shapes. Then they burnt them up with fire, and prayed that no more hurt might come to any one from them. But in that uncouth guise they wrought many famous deeds in the kingdom and lordship of King Sigir. Now, when Sinfietli was come to man's estate, Sigmund deemed he had tried him fully. And or ever a long time has gone by, he turns his mind to the avenging of his father, if so it may be brought about. So on a certain day the twain get them gone from their earth-house, and come to the abode of King Sigir late in the evening, and go into the porch before the hall, wherein were tons of ale, and there they lie hid. Now the queen is ware of them, where they are, and is fain to meet them. And when they met, they took counsel, and were of one mind, that Volsung should be revenged that same night. Now Signy and the king had two children of tender age, who played with the golden toy on the floor, and bolted along the pavement of the hall, running along with it. But therewith a golden ring from off it trundles away into the place where Sigmund and Sinfietli lay, and off runs the little one to search for the same, and beholds withal where two men are sitting, big and grimly to look on, with overhanging helms and bright white burnies. So he runs up the hall to his father, and tells him of the sight he has seen, and thereat the king misdoubts of some guile abiding him. But Signy heard their speech, and arose, and took both the children, and went out into the porch to them, and said, Lo ye, these younglings have berayed you. Come now, therefore, and slay them. Sigmund says, Never will I slay thy children for telling of where I lay hid. But Sinfietli made little enow of it, but drew his sword, and slew them both, and cast them into the hall at King Sigir's feet. Then up stood the king, and cried on his men to take those who had lain privily in the porch through the night. So they ran thither and would lay hands on them, but they stood on their defense well and manly, and long he remembered it who was the nighest to them. But in the end they were borne down by many men and taken, and bonds were set upon them, and they were cast into fetters wherein they sit night long. Then the king ponders what longest and worst of deaths he shall mete out to them. And when morning came, he let make a great barrow of stones and turf, and when it was done, let set a great flat stone midmost inside thereof, so that one edge was aloft, the other alow, and so great it was that it went from wall to wall, so that none might pass it. 
Now he bids folk take Sigmund and Sinfjotli and set them in the barrow, on either side of the stone. For the worse for them he deemed it, that they might hear each the other's speech, and yet that neither might pass one to the other. But now, while they were covering in the barrow with the turf slips, thither came Signy, bearing straw with her, and cast it down to Sinfjotli, and bade the thralls hide this thing from the king. They said yea thereto, and therewith was the barrow closed in. But when night fell, Sinfjotli said to Sigmund, Belike we shall scarce need meat for a while, for here has the queen cast swine's flesh into the barrow, and wrapped it round about on the outer side with straw. Therewith he handles the flesh, and finds that therein was thrust Sigmund's sword. And he knew it by the hilts, as murk as it might be in the barrow and tells Sigmund thereof, and of that they were both fain enow. Now Sinfjotli drave the point of the sword up into the big stone, and drew it hard along, and the sword bit on the stone. With that Sigmund caught the sword by the point, and in this wise they sawed the stone between them, and let not, where all the sawing was done that need be done. Ristuaf Magni, Mikla Hetlu, Sigmundr Hjorvi, Oxin Fjotli. Even as the song sings, Sinfjotli sawed and Sigmund sawed, a twain with main, the stone was done. Now are they both together loose in the barrow, and soon they cut both through stone and through iron, and bring themselves out thereof. Then they go home to the hall, when as all men slept there, and bear wood to the hall, and lay fire therein. And withal the folk therein are waked by the smoke, and by the hall burning over their heads. Then the king cries out, Who kindled this fire? I burn withal. Here am I, says Sigmund, with Sinfjotli, my sister's son, and we are minded that thou shalt wot well that all the Volsungs are not yet dead. Then he bade his sister come out and take all good things at his hands, and great honor and fair atonement in that wise for all her griefs. But she answered, Take heed now, and consider if I have kept King Sigir in memory in his slaying of Volsung the king. I let slay both my children, whom I deemed worthless for the revenging of our father, and I went into the wood to thee in a witch-wife's shape. And now behold, Sinfjotli is the son of thee and of me both, and therefore has he this so great hardihood and fierceness, in that he is the son both of Volsung's son and Volsung's daughter. And for this, and for naught else have I so wrought, that Sigir might get his bane at last, and all these things have I done that vengeance might fall on him, and that I too might not live long. And merrily now will I die with King Sigir, though I was not married to wed him. Therewith she kissed Sigmund her brother, and Sinfjotli, and went back again into the fire. And there she died with King Sigir, and all his good men. But the two kinsmen gathered together folk and ships, and Sigmund went back to his father's land, and drove away thence the king who had set himself down there in the room of King Volsung, 
So Sigmund became a mighty king and far-famed, wise and high-minded. He had to wife one named Borghild, and two sons they had between them, one named Helgi and the other Halmund. And when Helgi was born, Norns came to him and spake over him, and said that he should be in time to come the most renowned of all kings. Even therewith was Sigmund come home from the wars, and so therewith he gives him the name of Helgi, and these matters as tokens thereof. Land of Rings, Sunladen Hill, and Sharp Shearing Sword. And withal prayed that he might grow of great fame, and like unto the kin of the Volsungs. And so it was, that he grew up high-minded and well-beloved, and above all other men in all prowess. And the story tells that he went to the wars when he was fifteen winters old. Helgi was lord and ruler over the army, but Sinfjotli was gotten to be his fellow herein, and so the twain bear sway thereover. Chapter 9 Now the tale tells that Helgi in his warring met a king hight Hunding, a mighty king and lord of many men and many lands. They fell to battle together, and Helgi went forth mightily, and such was the end of that fight that Helgi had the victory. But King Hunding fell, and many of his men with him. But Helgi is deemed to have grown greatly in fame because he had slain so mighty a king. Then the sons of Hunding draw together a great army to avenge their father. Hard was the fight betwixt them, but Helgi goes through the folk of those brothers under their banner, and there slays these sons of Hunding, Alf and Eilf, Herwarth and Hogbarth, and wins there a great victory. Now, as Helgi fared from the fight, he met a many women, right fair and worthy to look on, who rode in exceeding noble array. But one far excelled them all. Then Helgi asked them the name of that their lady and queen, and she named herself Sigrun, and said she was daughter of King Hogni. Then said Helgi, Fare home with us, good welcome shall ye have. Then said the king's daughter, Other work lies before us than to drink with thee. Yea, and what work, king's daughter? said Helgi. She answers, King Hugni has promised me to Hodbrod, the son of King Granmar, but I have vowed a vow that I will have him to my husband no more than if he were a crow's son, and not a king's and yet will the thing come to pass. But and if thou standest in the way thereof, and goest against him with an army, and takest me away withal, for verily with no king would I rather bide on bolster than with thee. Be of good cheer, king's daughter, says he, for certes he and I shall try the matter, or ever thou be given to him. Yea, we shall behold which may prevail against the other, and hereto I pledge my life. Thereafter Helgi sent men with money in their hands to summon his folk to him, and all his power is called together to Redburg. And there Helgi abode till such time as a great company came to him from Hadensee. And therewithal came mighty power from Nervi Sound aboard great and fair ships. Then King Helgi called to him the captain of his ships, who was hight Leif, and asked him if he had told over the tale of his army. A thing not easy to tell, Lord, says he. On the ships that came out of Nervi Sound are twelve thousand men, and otherwhere are half as many again. Then bade King Helgi 
turn into the firth called Varan's firth, and they did so. But now there fell on them so fierce a storm and so huge a sea that the beat of the waves on board and bow was to hearken to like as the clashing together of high hills broken. But Helgi bade men fear naught, nor take in any sail, but rather hoist every rag higher than heretofore. But little did they miss of foundering, or ever they made land. Then came Sigrun, daughter of King Hergni, down on to the beach with a great army, and turned them away thence to a good haven called Gnipalund. But the landsmen see what has befallen, and come down to the seashore. The brother of King Hodbrod, lord of a land called Swarin's Cairn, called out to them, and asked them who was captain over that mighty army. Then up stands Sinfjotli, with a helm on his head bright shining as glass, and a burnie as white as snow, a spear in his hand, and thereon a banner of renown, and a gold-rimmed shield hanging before him. And well he knew what words to speak to kings. Go thou and say, when thou hast made an end of feeding thy swine and thy dogs, and when thou beholdest thy wife again, that here are come the Volzungs, and in this company may King Helgi be found, if Hodbrod be fain of finding him. For his game and his joy it is to fight and win fame, while thou art kissing the handmaids by the fireside. Then answered Granmar, In no wise knowest thou how to speak seemly things, and to tell of matters remembered from of old, whereas thou layest lies on chiefs and lords. Most like it is that thou must have long been nourished with wolf-meat abroad in the wild woods, and hast slain thy brethren, and a marvel it is to behold that thou darest join thyself to the company of good men and true, thou who hast sucked the blood of many a cold corpse. Sinfjotli answered, Dim belike is grown thy memory now of how thou wert a witch-wife on Verenze, and wouldst fain have a man to thee, and chose me to that same office of all the world, and how thereafter thou wert a Valkyria in Asgarth, and it well nigh came to this, that for thy sweet sake should all men fight, and nine wolf-whelps I begat on thy body in lowness, and was the father to them all. Granmar answers, Great skill in lying hast thou, yet belike the father of naught at all mayest thou be, since thou wert gelded, by the giant's daughters of Thrasnes. And lo, thou art the stepson of King Sigair, and were wont to lie abroad in wilds and woods with the kin of wolves, and unlucky was the hand wherewith thou slewest thy brethren, making for thyself an exceeding evil name. Said Sinfjotli, Mindest thou not then when thou wert Stallion Grani's mare, and how I rode thee an amble on Bravel, and that afterwards thou wert giant Gulner's goat-herd? Granmar says, Rather would I feed fowls with the flesh of thee than wrangle any longer with thee. Then spake King Helgi, Better were it for ye, and a more manly deed, to fight, rather than to speak such things as it is a shame even to hearken to. Granmar's sons are no friends of me and of mine, yet are they hardy men none the less. So Granmar rode away to meet King Hodbrod at a place called Sunfells and the horses of the twain were named Svepudr and Svegjodr. The brothers met in the castle porch, 
and Granmar told Hodbrod of the war news. King Hodbrod was clad in a burney and had his helm on his head. He asked, What men are nigh? Why look ye so wrathful? Granmar says, Here are come the Volsungs, and twelve thousand men of them are afloat off the coast, and seven thousand are at the island called Suck. But at the stead called Grindr is the greatest company of all, and now I deem with all that Helgi and his fellowship have good will to give battle. Then said the king, Let us send a message through all our realm, and go against them. Neither let any who is fain of fight sit idle at home. Let us send word to the sons of Hring, and to King Hugni, and to Alf the Old, for they are mighty warriors. So the hosts met at Wolfstone, and fierce fight befell there. Helgi rushed forth through the host of his foes, and many a man fell there. At last folk saw a great company of shield-maidens, like burning flames to look on, and there was come Sigrun, the king's daughter. Then King Helgi fell on King Hodbrod, and smote him, and slew him, even under his very banner. And Sigrun cried out, Have thou thanks for thy so manly deed. Now shall we share the land between us, and a day of great good hap this is to me, and for this deed shalt thou get honor and renown, in that thou hast fell to earth so mighty a king. So Helgi took to him that realm, and dwelt there long, when he had wedded Sigrun, and became a king of great honor and renown, though he has not more to do with this story. Chapter 10 Now the Volsungs fare back home, and have gained great renown by these deeds. But Sinfjotli betook himself to warfare anew. And therewith he had sight of an exceeding fair woman, and yearned above all things for her. But that same woman was wooed also of the brother of Borghild, the king's wife. And this matter they fought out betwixt them, and Sinfjotli slew that king. And thereafter he harried far and wide, and had many a battle, and ever gained the day, and he became hereby honored and renowned above all men. But, in autumn-tide, he came home with many ships and abundant wealth. Then he told his tidings to the king, his father, and he again to the queen. And she, for her part, bids him get him gone from the realm, and made as if she would in no wise see him. But Sigmund said he would not drive him away, and offered her atonement of gold and great wealth for her brother's life. Albeit, he said, he had never erst given Weirgild to any for the slaying of a man, but no fame it was to uphold wrong against a woman. So, seeing she might not get her own way herein, she said, Have thy will in this matter, O my lord, for it is seemly so to be. And now she holds the funeral feast for her brother by the aid and counsel of the king, and makes ready all things therefore in the best of wise, and bade thither many great men. At that feast Borghild, the queen, bare the drink to folk, and she came over against Sinfjotli with a great horn, and said, Fall to now and drink, fair stepson. Then he took the horn to him, and looked therein, and said, Nay, for the drink is charmed drink. Then said Sigmund, Give it unto me then. And therewith he took the horn and drank it off. But the queen said to Sinfjotli, Why must other men needs drink thine ale for thee? And she came again the second time with the horn, and said, 
Come now and drink, and goaded him with many words. And he took the horn and said, Guile is in the drink. And thereon Sigmund cried out, Give it then unto me. Again the third time she came to him, and bade him drink off his drink if he had the heart of a volsung. Then he laid hand on the horn, but said, Venom is therein. Nay, let the lips strain it out then, O son, quoth Sigmund. And by then was he exceeding drunk with drink, and therefore spake he in that wise. So Sinfietli drank, and straightway fell down dead to the ground. Sigmund rose up, and sorrowed nigh to death over him. Then he took the corpse in his arms, and fared away to the wood, and went till he came to a certain firth. And there he saw a man in a little boat, and that man asked if he would be wafted by him over the firth, and he said yea thereto. But so little was the boat that they might not all go in it at once. So the corpse was first laid therein, while Sigmund went by the firth side. But therewith the boat and the man therein vanished away from before Sigmund's eyes. So thereafter Sigmund turned back home and drave away the queen, and a little after she died. But Sigmund the king yet ruled his realm, and is deemed ever the greatest champion and king of the old law. Chapter 11 There was a king called Elami, mighty and of great fame, and his daughter was called Hjordis, the fairest and wisest of womankind. And Sigmund hears it told of her that she was meet to be his wife, yea, if none else were. So he goes to the house of King Elami, who would make a great feast for him, if so be he comes not thither in the guise of a foe. So messages were sent from one to the other that this present journey was a peaceful one, and not for war. So the feast was held in the best of wise and with many a man thereat. Fairs were in every place established for King Sigmund, and all things were done to the aid and comfort of his journey. So he came to the feast, and both kings hold their state in one hall. Thither also was come King Lingvi, son of King Hunding, and he also is a wooing, the daughter of King Elami. Now the king deemed he knew that the twain had come thither but for one errand, and thought withal that war and trouble might be looked for from the hands of him who brought not his end about. So he spake to his daughter, and said, Thou art a wise woman, and I have spoken it that thou alone shalt choose a husband for thyself. Choose, therefore, between these two kings, and my reed shall be even as thine. A hard and troublous matter, says she, yet will I choose him who is of greatest fame, King Sigmund to wit, albeit he is well stricken in years. So to him was she betrothed, and King Lengvi gat him gone. Then was Sigmund wedded to Hjordis, and now each day was the feast better and more glorious than on the day before it. But thereafter Sigmund went back home to Hunland, and King Elami, his father-in-law, with him, and King Sigmund betakes himself to the due ruling of his realm. But King Lengvi and his brethren gather an army together to fall on Sigmund, for, as in all matters they were wont to have the worser lot, so did this bite the sorest of all, and they would fain prevail over the might and pride of the Volsungs. So they came to Hunland, and sent King Sigmund word how that they would not steal upon him, and that they deemed he would scarce slink away from them. 
So Sigmund said he would come and meet them in battle, and drew his power together. But Hjordis was born into the wood with a certain bondmaid, and mighty wealth went with them, and there she abode the while they fought. Now the Vikings rushed from their ships in numbers not to be borne up against. But Sigmund the king and Aelami set up their banners, and the horns blew up to battle. But King Sigmund let blow the horn his father erst had had, and cheered on his men to the fight, but his army was far the fewest. Now was that battle fierce and fell, and though Sigmund were old, yet most heartily he fought, and was ever the foremost of his men. No shield or burney might hold against him, and he went ever through the ranks of his foemen on that day, and no man might see how things would fare between them. Many an arrow and many a spear was aloft in air that day, and so his spayrites wrought for him that he got no wound, and none can tell over the tale of those who fell before him, and both his arms were red with blood, even to the shoulders. But now, when as the battle had dured a while, there came a man into the fight clad in a blue cloak, and with a slouched hat on his head. One-eyed he was, and bare a bill in his hand. And he came against Sigmund the king, and have up his bill against him. And as Sigmund smote fiercely with the sword, it fell upon the bill, and burst asunder in the midst. Thenceforth the slaughter and dismay turned to his side, for the good hap of King Sigmund had departed from him and his men fell fast about him. Naught did the king spare himself, but rather cheered on his men, but even as the saw says, Engima vith margnum, no might gainst many. So was it now proven, and in this fight fell Sigmund the king, and King Aelami his father-in-law, in the forefront of their battle, and therewith the more part of their folk. Chapter 12 now King Lingvi made for the king's abode, and was minded to take the king's daughter there, but failed herein. For there he found neither wife nor wealth. So he fared through all the realm, and gave his men rule thereover, and now deemed that he had slain all the kin of the Volsungs, and that he need dread them no more from henceforth. Now Hjordis went amidst the slain that night of the battle, and came whereas lay King Sigmund, and asked if he might be healed. But he answered, Many a man lives after hope has grown little, but my good hap has departed from me, nor will I suffer myself to be healed, nor wills Othen that I should ever draw a sword again, since this, my sword and his, is broken. Lo now, I have waged war while it was his will. Not ill would I deem matters, said she, if thou mightest be healed and avenge my father. The king said, That is fated for another man. Behold now, thou art great with a man-child. Nourish him well and with good heed, and the child shall be the noblest and most famed of all our kin. And keep well with all the shards of the sword. Thereof shall a goodly sword be made and it shall be called Gram, and our son shall bear it, and shall work many a great work therewith, even such as Eld shall never minish. For his name shall abide and flourish as long as the world shall endure. And let this be a now for thee. But now I grow weary with my wounds, 
and I will go see our kin that have gone before me. So Hyordis sat over him till he died at the day dawning. And then she looked, and behold, there came many ships sailing to the land. Then she spake to the handmaid, Let us now change raiment, and be thou called by my name, and say that thou art the king's daughter. And thus they did. But now the Vikings behold the great slaughter of men there, and see where two women fare away thence into the wood, and they deem that some great tidings must have befallen, and they leaped ashore from out their ships. Now the captain of these folks was Alf, son of Hjalprek, king of Denmark, who was sailing with his power along the land. So they came into the field among the slain, and saw how many men lay dead there. Then the king bade go seek for the women and bring them thither, and they did so. He asked them what women they were, and, little as the thing seems like to be, the bondmaid answered for the twain, telling of the fall of King Sigmund and King Elamy and many another great man, and who they were withal who had wrought the deed. Then the king asks if they wotted where the wealth of the king was bestowed. And then says the bondmaid, It may well be deemed that we know full surely thereof. And therewith she guides them to the place where the treasure lay. And there they found exceeding great wealth, so that men deem they have never seen so many things of price heaped up together in one place. All this they bore to the ships of King Alf, and Hjordis and the bondmaid went with them. Therewith these sail away to their own realm, and talk how that surely on that field had fallen the most renowned of kings. So the king sits by the tiller, but the women abide in the forecastle. But talk he had with the women, and held their counsels of much account. In such wise the king came home to his realm with great wealth, and he himself was a man exceeding goodly to look on. But when he had been but a little while at home, the queen his mother asked him, Why the fairest of the two women had the fewer rings and the less worthy attire? I deem, she said, that she whom ye have held of least account is the noblest of the twain. He answered, I too have misdoubted me that she is little like a bondwoman, and when we first met, in seemly wise she greeted noble men. Lo now, we will make a trial of the thing. So on a time, as men sat at the drink, the king sat down to talk with the women, and said, in what wise do ye note the wearing of the hours when as night grows old, if ye may not see the lights of heaven? Then says the bondwoman, This sign have I, that when as in my youth I was wont to drink much in the dawn, so now, when I no longer use that manner, I am yet wont to wake up at that very same tide, and by that token do I know thereof. Then the king laughed and said, ill manners for a king's daughter. And therewith he turned to Hjordis, and asked her even the same question. But she answered, My father erst gave me a little gold ring of such nature that it groweth cold on my finger in the day dawning, and that is the sign that I have to know thereof. The king answered, And now of gold there, 
where a very bondmaid bore it. But come now, thou hast been long enow hid from me. Yet if thou hadst told me all from the beginning, I would have done to thee as though we had both been one king's children. But better than thy deeds will I deal with thee, for thou shalt be my wife, and due jointure will I pay thee, whenas thou hast borne me a child. She spake therewith, and told out the whole truth about herself. So there was she held in great honor, and deemed the worthiest of women. Chapter 13 the tale tells that Hjordis brought forth a man-child, who was straightly born before King Hjalprek. And then was the king glad thereof, when he saw the keen eyes in the head of him, and he said that few men would be equal to him, or like unto him in any wise. So he was sprinkled with water, and had to name Sigurd, of whom all men speak with one speech and say that none was ever his like for growth and goodliness. He was brought up in the house of King Hjalprek, in great love and honor. And so it is, that when so all the noblest men and greatest kings are named in the olden tales, Sigurd is ever put before them all, for might and prowess, for high mind and stout heart, wherewith he was far more abundantly gifted than any man of the northern parts of the wide world. So Sigurd waxed in King Halprick's house, and there was no child but loved him. Through him was Hjordis betrothed to King Alf, and jointure meted to her. Now, Sigurd's foster-father was hight Regan, the son of Hraithmar. He taught him all manner of arts, the chess-play, and the lore of runes, and the talking of many tongues, even as the wont was with king's sons in those days. But on a day when they were together, Regan asked Sigurd if he knew how much wealth his father had owned, and who had the ward thereof. Sigurd answered, and said that the kings kept the ward thereof. Said Regan, Dost thou trust them all, utterly? Sigurd said, It is seemly that they keep it, till I may do somewhat therewith, for better they wot how to guard it than I do. Another time came Regan to talk to Sigurd and said, A marvellous thing, truly, that thou must needs be a horse-boy to the kings, and go about like a running knave. Nay, said Sigurd, it is not so, for in all things I have my will, and whatso thing I desire is granted me with good will. Well, then, said Regan, ask for a horse of them. Yea, quoth Sigurd, and that shall I have, when so I have need thereof. Thereafter Sigurd went to the king, and the king said, What wilt thou have of us? Then said Sigurd, I would even a horse of thee, for my disport. Then said the king, Choose for thyself a horse, and whatso thing else thou desirest among my matters. So the next day went Sigurd to the wood, and met on the way an old man, long-bearded, that he knew not who asked him, Whither away? Sigurd said, I am minded to choose me a horse. Come thou, and counsel me thereon. Well then, said he, go we and drive them to the river which is called Busseltjorn. They did so, and drave the horses down into the deeps of the river, and all swam back to land, 
but one horse, and that horse Sigurd chose for himself. Gray he was of hue, and young of years, great of growth, and fair to look on, nor had any man yet crossed his back. Then spake the greybeard, From Sleipnir's kin is this horse come, and he must be nourished heedfully, for it will be the best of all horses. And therewithal he vanished away. So Sigurd called the horse Grani, the best of all the horses of the world, nor was the man he met other than Odin himself. Now yet again spake Regan to Sigurd, and said, Not enough is thy wealth, and I grieve right sore that thou must needs run here and there like a churl's son. But I can tell thee where there is much wealth for the winning, and great name and honor to be won in getting of it. Sigurd asked where that might be, and who had watch and ward over it. Regan answered, Faufnir is his name, and but a little way hence he lies, on the waste of Gnita Heath. And when thou comest there, thou mayest well say that thou hast never seen more gold heaped together in one place, and that none might desire more treasure, though he were the most ancient and famed of all kings. Young am I, says Sigurd, yet I know the fashion of this worm, and how that none durst go against him, so huge and evil is he. Regan said, Nay, it is not so. The fashion and the growth of him is even as other ling-worms, and an over-great tale men make of it, and even so would thy forefathers have deemed. But thou, though thou be of the kin of the Volsungs, shalt scarce have the heart and mind of those who are told of as the first in all deeds of fame. Sigurd said, Yea, belike I have little of their hardihood and prowess, but thou hast naught to do to lay a coward's name upon me when I am scarce out of my childish years. Why dost thou egg me on hereto so busily? Regan said, Therein lies a tale which I must needs tell thee. Let me hear the same, said Sigurd. Chapter 14 Thus the tale begins, said Regan. Hrithmar was my father's name, a mighty man and a wealthy and his first son was named Fafnir, his second Otter, and I was the third and the least of them all, both for prowess and good conditions. But I was cunning to work in iron and silver and gold, whereof I could make matters that availed somewhat. Other skill my brother Otter followed, and had another nature withal. For he was a great fisher, and above other men herein, in that he had the likeness of an otter by day, and dwelt ever in the river, and bare fish to bank in his mouth. And his prey would he ever bring to our father, and that availed him much. For the most part he kept him in his otter gear, and then he would come home and eat alone and slumbering, for on the dry land he might see naught. But Fafnir was by far the greatest and grimmest and would have all things about called his. Now, says Regan, there was a dwarf, called Andvari, who ever abode in that force which was called Andvari's force, in the likeness of a pike, and got meat for himself, for many fish there were in the force. Now Otter, my brother, 
was ever wont to enter into the force and bring fish aland, and lay them one by one on the bank. And so it befell that Othin, Loki, and Henir, as they went their ways, came to Anvari's force. And Otter had taken a salmon, and ate it slumbering upon the river bank. Then Loki took a stone and cast it at Otter, so that he gat his death thereby. The gods were well content with their prey, and fell to flaying off the otter's skin, and in the evening they came to Hraithmar's house and showed him what they had taken. Thereon he laid hands on them, and doomed them to such ransom as that they should fill the otter skin with gold, and cover it over without with red gold. So they sent Loki to gather gold together for them. He came to Ron and got her net, and went therewith to Anvari's force, and cast the net before the pike, and the pike ran into the net, and was taken. Then said Loki, Quater that visca erinner flodi e, cannot ser vith viti varask? What fish of all fishes swims strong in the flood, but hath learnt little wit to beware? Thy head must thou buy from abiding in hell, and find me the wan water's flame. He answered, Anvari folk call me, call Oin my father, over many a force have I fared. For a norn of ill luck this life on me lay, through wet ways ever to wade. So Loki beheld the gold of Anvari. And when he had given up the gold, he had but one ring left, and that also Loki took from him. Then the dwarf went into a hollow of the rocks, and cried out that that gold ring, yea, and all the gold withal, should be the bane of every man who should own it thereafter. Now the gods rode with the treasure to Hraithmar, and fulfilled the otter skin, and set it on its feet, and they must cover it over utterly with gold. But when this was done, then Hraithmar came forth and beheld yet one of the muzzle hairs, and bade them cover that withal. Then Odin drew the ring, Anvari's loom, from his hand, and covered up the hair therewith. Then sang Loki, Golden now, golden now, a great ware-guild thou hast, that my head in good hap I may hold. But thou and thy son are not fated to thrive. The bane shall it be of you both. Thereafter, says Regan, Fafnir slew his father, and murdered him, nor got I aught of the treasure. And so evil he grew, that he fell to lying abroad and begrudged any share in the wealth to any man, and so became the worst of all worms, and ever now lies brooding upon that treasure. But for me, I went to the king and became his master smith, and thus is the tale told, of how I lost the heritage of my father and the weirguild for my brother. So spake Regan. But since that time gold is called Ottergild, and for no other cause than this. But Sigurd answered, Much hast thou lost, and exceeding evil have thy kinsmen been. But now, 
Make a sword by thy craft, such a sword as that none can be made like unto it, so that I may do great deeds therewith, if my heart avail thereto, and thou wouldst have me slay this mighty dragon. Regan says, Trust me well herein, and with that same sword shalt thou slay Fafnir. Chapter 15 So, Regan makes a sword and gives it into Sigurd's hands. He took the sword and said, Behold thy smithying, Regan, and therewith smote it into the anvil, and the sword brake. So he cast down the brand, and bade him forge a better. Then Regan forged another sword, and brought it to Sigurd, who looked thereon. Then said Regan, Belike thou art well content therewith, hard master though thou be in smithying. So Sigurd proved the sword, and brake it, even as the first. Then he said to Regan, Ah, art thou may happen a traitor and a liar like to those former kin of thine? Therewith he went to his mother, and she welcomed him in seemly wise, and they talked and drank together. Then spake Sigurd, Have I heard aright that King Sigmund gave thee the good sword Grom in two pieces? True enough, she said. So Sigurd said, Deliver them into my hands, for I would have them. She said he looked like to win great fame, and gave him the sword. Therewith went Sigurd to Regan, and bade him make a good sword thereof, as he best might. Regan grew wroth thereat, but went into the smithy with the pieces of the sword, thinking well meanwhile that Sigurd pushed his head far anow into the matter of smithying. So he made a sword. And as he bore it forth from the forge, it seemed to the smiths as though fire burned along the edges thereof. Now he bade Sigurd take the sword, and said he knew not how to make a sword if this one failed. Then Sigurd smote it into the anvil, and cleft it down to the stock thereof, and neither burst the sword nor break it. Then he praised the sword much, and thereafter went to the river with a lock of wool, and threw it up against the stream, and it fell asunder when it met the sword. Then was Sigurd glad, and went home. But Regan said, Now, whereas I have made the sword for thee, belike thou wilt hold to thy troth given, and wilt go meet Fafnir. Surely will I hold thereto, said Sigurd, yet first must I avenge my father. Now Sigurd, the older he grew, the more he grew in the love of all men, so that every child loved him well. Chapter 16 there was a man hight Gripir, who was Sigurd's mother's brother. And a little after the forging of the sword, Sigurd went to Gripir, because he was a man who knew things to come, and what was fated to men. Of him Sigurd asked diligently how his life should go, but Gripir was long or he spake. Yet at the last, by reason of Sigurd's exceeding great prayers, he told him all his life and the fate thereof even as afterwards came to pass. So when Gripir had told him all, even as he would, he went back home. And a little after, he and Regan met. Then said Regan, Go thou and slay Fafnir, even as thou hast given thy word. 
Sigurd said, That work shall be wrought, but another is first to be done, the avenging of Sigmund the king, and the other of my kinsmen who fell in that their last fight. Chapter 17 Now Sigurd went to the kings and spake thus, Here have I abode a space with you, and I owe you thanks and reward for great love and many gifts and all due honor. But now will I away from the land, and go meet the sons of Hunding, and do them to wit that the Volsungs are not all dead. And your might would I have to strengthen me therein. So the kings said that they would give him all things soever that he desired. And therewith was a great army got ready, and all things wrought in the most heedful wise, ships and all war-gear, so that his journey might be of the stateliest. But Sigurd himself steered the dragon-keel, which was the greatest and noblest. Richly wrought were their sails, and glorious to look on. So they sail, and have wind at will. But when a few days were overpassed, there arose a great storm on the sea, and the waves were to behold even as the foam of men's blood. But Sigurd bade take in no sail, howsoever they might be riven, but rather to lay on higher than heretofore. But as they sailed past the rocks of a ness, a certain man hailed the ships, and asked who was captain over that navy. Then was it told him that the chief and lord was Sigurd, the son of Sigmund, the most famed of all the young men who now are. Then said the man, Naught but one thing certes do all say of him, that none among the sons of kings may be likened unto him. Now fain were I that ye would shorten sail on some of the ships, and take me aboard. Then they asked him of his name, and he sang, Hnikar I hight when I gladdened Hugin and went to battle, bright son of Volsung. Now may ye call the carl on the cliff-top Feng or Fjolnir. Fain would I with you. They made for land therewith, and took that man aboard. Then quoth Sigurd, as the song says, Tell me this, O Hnikar, since full well thou knowest, fate of gods, good and ill of mankind, what best our hap foreshoweth, when amid the battle about us sweeps the sword-edge? Quoth Nikar, Good are many tokens, if thereof men wotted, when the swords are sweeping. Fair fellow deem I the dark-winged raven in war to weapon-wielder. The second good thing, when abroad thou goest for the long road well arrayed, Good if thou seest two men standing, fain of fame within the forecourt. A third thing, good hearing the wolf a-howling abroad under ash-boughs, good hap shalt thou have dealing with helm-staves, if thou seest these fair before thee. No man in fight his face shall turn against the moon's sister, low, late shining. For he winneth battle who best beholdeth through the midmost sword-play, and the sloping ranks best shapeth. Great is the trouble of foot-ill-tripping, when arrayed for fight thou farest, for on both sides about are the deceer by thee, guileful, wishful of thy wounding.
fair-combed, well-washen, let each warrior be, nor lack meat in the morning. For who can rule the eaves returning, and base to fall before fate groveling? Then the storm abated, and on they fared till they came a land in the realm of Hunding's sons, and then Fjolnir vanished away. Then they let loose fire and sword, and slew men, and burnt their abodes, and did waste all before them. A great company of folk fled before the face of them to Lingvi the king, and tell him that men of war are in the land, and are faring with such rage and fury that the like has never been heard of, and that the sons of King Hunding had no great forecast in that they said they would never fear the Volsungs more. For here was come Sigurd, the son of Sigmund, as captain over this army. So King Lingvi let send the war message all throughout his realm, and has no will to flee, but summons to him all such as would give him aid. So he came against Sigurd with a great army, he and his brothers with him, and an exceeding fierce fight befell. Many a spear and many an arrow might men see there raised aloft, axes hard driven, shields cleft and burnies torn, helmets were shivered, skulls split a twain, and many a man felled to the cold earth. And now, when the fight has long dured in such wise, Sigurd goes forth before the banners, and has the good sword Grom in his hand, and smites down both men and horses, and goes through the thickest of the throng with both arms red with blood to the shoulder. And folk shrank aback before him wheresoever he went, nor would either helm or burney hold before him, and no man deemed he had ever seen his like. So a long while the battle lasted, and many a man was slain, and furious was the onset, till at last it befell, even as seldom comes to hand when a land army falls on, that, do whatso they might, naught was brought about. But so many men fell of the sons of Hunding that the tale of them may not be told. And now, when as Sigurd was among the foremost, came the sons of Hunding against him, and Sigurd smote therewith at Lingvi the king, and clave him down, both helm and head, and mail-clad body. And thereafter he smote Hjorvarth his brother, a twain, and then slew all the other sons of Hunding who were yet alive, and the more part of their folk withal. Now home goes Sigurd with fair victory won, and plenteous wealth and great honor, which he had gotten to him in this journey, and feasts were made for him, against he came back to the realm. But when Sigurd had been at home but a little, came Regan to talk with him, and said, Belike thou wilt now have good will to bow down Fafnir's crest, according to thy word plighted, since thou hast thus revenged thy father and the others of thy kin. Sigurd answered, That will we hold to, even as we have promised, nor did it ever fall from our memory. Chapter 18 now Sigurd and Regan ride up the heath along that same way wherein Fafnir was wont to creep when he fared to the water. And folk say that thirty fathoms was the height of that cliff along which he lay when he drank of the water below. 
Then Sigurd spake. How sayest thou, Regan, that this drake was no greater than other lingworms? Methinks the track of him is marvellous great. Then said Regan, Make thee a hole, and sit down therein. And when as the worm comes to the water, smite him into the heart, and so do him to death, and win for thee great fame thereby. But Sigurd said, What will betide me, if I be before the blood of the worm? Says Regan, Of what avail to counsel thee, if thou art still afeard of everything? Little art thou like thy kin in stoutness of heart. Then Sigurd rides right over the heath, but Regan gets him gone, sore afeard. But Sigurd fell to digging him a pit, and while as he was at that work there came to him an old man with a long beard, and asked what he wrought there, and he told him. Then answered the old man and said, Thou dost after sorry counsel, rather dig thee many pits and let the blood run therein, but sit thee down in one thereof, and so thrust the worm's heart through. And therewithal he vanished away. But Sigurd made the pits, even as it was shown to him. Now crept the worm down to his place of watering, and the earth shook all about him, and he snorted forth venom on all the way before him as he went. But Sigurd neither trembled nor was a dread at the roaring of him. So, when as the worm crept over the pits, Sigurd thrust his sword under his left shoulder so that it sank in up to the hilts. Then up leaped Sigurd from the pit and drew the sword back again unto him, and therewith was his arm all bloody up to the very shoulder. Now, when that mighty worm was ware that he had his death wound, then he lashed out head and tail so that all things soever that were before him were broken to pieces. So, when as Fafnir had his death wound, he asked, Who art thou, and who is thy father, and what thy kin, that thou wert so hardy as to bear weapons Against me. Sigurd answered, Unknown to men is my kin. I am called a noble beast. Neither father have I, nor mother, and all alone have I fared hither. Said Fafnir, Whereas thou hast neither father nor mother, of what wonder wert thou born then? But now, though thou tellest me not thy name, on this my death-day, yet thou knowest verily that thou liest unto me. He answered, Sigurd am I called, and my father was Sigmund. Says Fafnir, Who egged thee on to this deed? And why wouldst thou be driven to it? Hadst thou never heard how that all folk were a dread of me, and of the awe of my countenance? But an eager father thou hadst, O bright-eyed swain. Sigurd answered, 
A hearty heart urged me on hereto, and a strong hand, and this sharp sword, which well thou knowest now stood me instead in the doing of the deed. Seldom hath hardy eld a faint heart youth. Fafnir said, Well, I wot that hadst thou waxed amid thy kin, thou mightest have good skill to slay folk in thine anger. But more of a marvel is it that thou, a bondsman taken in war, shouldst have the heart to set on me. For few among bondsmen have heart for the fight. Said Sigurd, Wilt thou then cast it in my teeth that I am far away from my kin? Albeit I was a bondsman, yet was I never shackled. God wot thou hast found me free enow. Fafnir answered, In angry wise dost thou take my speech. But hearken, for that same gold which I have owned shall be thy bane too. Quoth Sigurd, Fain would we keep all our wealth till that day of days, yet shall each man die once for all. Said Fafnir, Few things wilt thou do after my counsel, but take heed that thou shalt be drowned if thou farest unwarily over the sea. So bide thou rather on the dry land for the coming of the calm tide. Then said Sigurd, Speak, Fafnir, and say, if thou art so exceeding wise, who are the Norns who rule the lot of all men's sons? Fafnir answers, Many there be, and wide apart, for some are of the kin of the Aesir, and some are of elven kin, and some there are who are daughters of Dvalin. Said Sigurd, How namest thou the holm? whereon Surt and the Aesir mix and mingle the water of the sword. Unshapen is that holm height, said Fafnir. And yet again he said, Regan, my brother, has brought about my end, and it gladdens my heart that thine too he bringeth about, for thus will things be according to his will. And once again he spake. A countenance of terror I bore up before all folk, after that I brooded over the heritage of my brother. And on every side did I spout out poison, so that none durst come anigh me, and of no weapon was I a dread. Nor ever had I so many men before me, as that I deemed myself not stronger than all, for all men were sore afeard of me. Sigurd answered and said, Few may have victory by means of that same countenance of terror, for whoso comes amongst many shall one day find that no one man is by so far the mightiest of all. Then says Fafnir, Such counsel I give thee, 
that thou take thy horse and ride away at thy speediest, for oft times it falls out so that he who gets a death wound avenges himself none the less. Sigurd answered, Such as thy reeds are, I will nowise do after them. Nay, I will ride now to thy lair, and take to me that great treasure of thy kin. Ride there, then, said Fafnir, and thou shalt find gold enow to suffice thee for all thy life days. Yet shall that gold be thy bane, and the bane of every one soever who owns it. Then up stood Sigurd and said, Home would I ride, and lose all that wealth, if I deemed that by the losing thereof I should never die. But every brave and true man will fain have his hand on wealth till that last day. But thou, Fafnir, wallow in the death-pain till death and hell have thee. And therewithal Fafnir died. Chapter 19 Thereafter came Regan to Sigurd, and said, Hail, lord and master! A noble victory hast thou won in the slaying of Fafnir, whereas none durst heretofore abide in the path of him, and now shall this deed of fame be of renown while the world stands fast. Then stood Regan staring on the earth a long while, and presently thereafter spake from heavy mood. Mine own brother hast thou slain, and scarce may I be called sackless of the deed. Then Sigurd took his sword Gram, and dried it on the earth, and spake to Regan. Afar thou farest when I wrought this deed, and tried this sharp sword with the hand and the might of me. With all the might and main of a dragon must I strive, while thou wert laid alow in the heather bush, wotting not if it were earth or heaven. Said Regan, Long might this worm have lain in his lair, if the sharp sword I forged with my hand had not been good at need to thee. Had that not been, neither thou nor any man would have prevailed against him, as at this time. Sigurd answers, When as men meet foes in fight, better is stout heart than sharp sword. Then said Regan, exceeding heavily, Thou hast slain my brother and scarce may I be sackless of the deed. Therewith Sigurd cut out the heart of the worm with the sword called Rithil. But Regan drank of Fafnir's blood, and spake, Grant me a boon, and do a thing little for thee to do. Bear the heart to the fire, and roast it, and give me thereof to eat. Then Sigurd went his ways and roasted it on a rod. And when the blood bubbled out, he laid his finger thereon to essay it, if it were fully done. And then he set his finger in his mouth, and lo, when the heart-blood of the worm touched his tongue, straightway he knew the voice of all fowls, and heard withal how the woodpeckers chattered in the brake beside him. There sittest thou, Sigurd, roasting Fafnir's heart for another that thou shouldst eat thine own self, and then thou shouldst become the wisest of all men. And another spake, There lies Regan, minded to beguile the man who trusts in him. 
but yet again said the third, Let him smite the head from off him then, and be only lord of all that gold. And once more the fourth spake and said, Ah, the wiser were he, if he followed after that good counsel, and rode thereafter to Fafnir's lair, and took to him that mighty treasure that lieth there, and then rode over Hindfell, whereas sleeps Brynhild, for there would he get great wisdom. Ah, wise he were if he did after your reeds, and bethought him of his own weal, for where wolf's ears are, wolf's teeth are near. Then cried the fifth, Yea, yea, not so wise as he as I deem him, if he spareth him whose brother he hath slain already. At last spake the sixth, Handy and good read to slay him, and be lord of the treasure. Then said Sigurd, The time is unborn wherein Regan shall be my bane. Nay, rather one road shall both these brothers fare. And therewith he drew his sword Grom, and struck off Regan's head. Then heard Sigurd the woodpeckers a-singing even as the song says. For the first sang, Bind thou, Sigurd, the bright red rings, Not meet it is, many things to fear. A fair may know I, fair of all the fairest, Girt about with gold, good for thy getting. And the second, Green go the ways toward the hall of Gyuki, that the fates show forth to those who fare thither. There the rich king reareth a daughter. Thou shalt deal, Sigurd, with gold for thy sweetling. And the third, A high hall is there, reared upon Hindfell. Without all around it sweeps the red flame aloft. Wise men wrought that wonder of halls, with the unhidden gleam of the glory of gold. Then the fourth sang, Soft on the fell a shield-may sleepeth, the lime-tree's red plague playing about her. The sleep-thorn set Othan into that maiden, for her choosing in war the one he willed not. Go, son, behold that may under helm, whom from battle Vinskornir bore. From her may not turn the torment of sleep, Dear offspring of kings, in the dread Norn's despite. Then Sigurd ate some deal of Fafnir's heart, And the remnant he kept. Then he leapt on his horse, And rode along the trail of the worm Fafnir, And so right unto his abiding place. And he found it open, And beheld all the doors and the gear of them, that they were wrought of iron, yea, and all the beams of the house, and it was dug down deep into the earth. There found Sigurd gold exceeding plenteous, and the sword hrotty, and thence he took the helm of awe, and the gold burny, and many things fair and good. So much gold he found there, that he thought verily that scarce might two horses or three belike bear it thence. So he took all the gold and laid it in two great chests, and set them on the horse Grani, and took the reins of him.
but no wise will he stir, neither will he abide smiting. Then Sigurd knows the mind of the horse, and leaps on the back of him, and smites and spurs into him, and off the horse goes, even as if he were unladen. Chapter 20 By long roads rides Sigurd, till he comes at the last up unto Hindfell, and wends his way south to the land of the Franks. And he sees before him on the fell a great light, as of fire burning and flaming up even unto the heavens. And when he came thereto, lo, a shield-hung castle before him, and a banner on the topmost thereof. Into the castle went Sigurd, and saw one lying there asleep and all armed. Therewith he takes the helm from off the head of him, and sees that it is no man but a woman. And she was clad in a burney, as closely set on her as though it had grown to her flesh. So he rent it, from the collar downwards, and then the sleeves thereof, and ever the sword bit on it, as if it were cloth. Then said Sigurd, that overlong she had lain asleep. But she asked, What thing of great might is it that has prevailed to rend my burney and draw me from my sleep? Even as sings the song, What bit on the burney? Why breaks my sleep away? Who has turned from me my wan tormenting? Ah, is it so, that here is come Sigurd Sigmundson? bearing Falfnir's helm on his head, and Falfnir's bane in his hand? Then answered Sigurd, Sigmund's son, with Sigurd's sword, e'en now rent down the raven's wall. Of the Volsung's kin is he who has done the deed. But now I have heard that thou art daughter of a mighty king, and folk have told us that thou wert lovely and full of lore, and now I will try the same. Then Brynhild sang, Long have I slept and slumbered long. Many and long are the woes of mankind. By the might of Odin must I bide helpless to shake from off me the spells of slumber. Hail to the day come back! Hail, sons of the daylight! Hail to thee, dark night, and thy daughter. Look with kind eyes down on us sitting here lonely, and give unto us the gain that we long for. Hail to the Aesir and the sweet Ausinior. Hail to the fair earth fulfilled of plenty. Fair words, wise hearts, would we win from you, and healing hands while life we hold. Then Brynhild speaks again, and says, Two kings fought, one hight Hjalm Gunnar, an old man and the greatest of warriors, and Odin had promised the victory unto him. But his foe was Agnar, or Authi's brother, and so I smote down Hjalm Gunnar in the fight, and Odin, in vengeance for that deed, stuck the sleep-thorn into me, and said that I should never again have the victory but should be given away in marriage. But thereagainst I vowed a vow that never would I wed 
one who knew the name of fear. Then said Sigurd, Teach us the lore of mighty matters. She said, Belike thou canest more skill in all than I, yet will I teach thee, yea, and with thanks, if there be aught of my cunning that will in any wise pleasure thee, either of runes or of other matters that are the root of things. But now let us drink together, and may the gods give to us twain a good day, that thou mayest win good help and fame from my wisdom, and that thou mayest hereafter mind thee of that which we twain speak together. Then Brynhild filled a beaker and bore it to Sigurd, and gave him the drink of love, and spake. Beer bring I to thee, fair fruit of the Birnies clash, mixed is it mightily, mingled with fame, brimming with bright lays and pitiful runes, wise words, sweet words, speech of great game. Runes of war know thou, if great thou wilt be, cut them on hilt of hardened sword, some on the brand's back, some on its shining side, twice named Tyr therein. Sea runes good it need, learnt for ships saving, for the good health of the swimming horse. On the stern cut them, cut them on the rudder blade, and set flame to shaven oar. How so big be the sea hills, how so blue beneath, hail from the main, then comest thou home. Word runes learn well, if thou wilt that no man pay back grief for the grief thou gavest. Wind thou these, weave thou these, cast thou these all about thee, at the thing where folk throng unto the full doom faring. Of ale runes know the wisdom, if thou wilt that another's wife should not bewray thine heart that trusteth. Cut them on the mead horn, on the back of each hand, and nick an in upon thy nail. Ale have thou heed to sign from all harm, leek lay thou in the liquor. Then I know for sure, never cometh to thee mead with hurtful matters mingled. Help runes shalt thou gather, if skilt thou wouldst gain to loosen child from low-laid mother. Cut be they in hands hollow, wrapped the joints round about, call for the good folks, gain some helping. Learn the bow-runes wisdom, if leech-lore thou lovest, and wilt wot about wounds searching. On the bark be they scored, on the buds of trees, whose boughs look eastward ever. Thought-runes shalt thou deal with, if thou wilt be of all men fairest-souled white and wisest. These areeded, these first cut, these first took to heart, high hropped. On the shield where they scored that stands before the shining God, on early waking's ear, on all-knowing's hoof, on the wheel which runneth under Rugnir's chariot, on Sleipnir's jaw-teeth, on the sleigh's traces, on the rough bear's paws and on Bragi's tongue, on the wolf's claws and on eagle's bill, on bloody wings and bridges end, on loosing palms and pity's path, on glass and on gold and on goodly silver, in wine and in wart and the seat of the witch-wife, on Gugnir's point and Grani's bosom, on the Norn's nail and the neb of the night-owl. All these so cut were shaven and sheared, 
and mingled in with holy mead and sent upon wide ways enow. Some abide with the elves, some abide with the Aesir, or with the wise Vanir, some still hold the sons of mankind. These be the book runes and the runes of good help, and all the ale runes and the runes of much might. To whomso they may avail, unbewildered, unspoilt, they are wholesome to have. Thrive thou with these, then, when thou hast learnt their lore, till the gods end thy life days. Now shalt thou choose thee, e'en as choice is bidden sharp steel's root and stem. Choose song or silence, see to each in thy heart. All hurt has been heeded. Then answered Sigurd, Ne'er shall I flee, though thou wottest me fay. Never was I born for blenching. Thy loved reed will I hold a right in my heart, even as long as I may live. Chapter 21 Sigurd spake now. Sure no wiser woman than thou art one may be found in the wide world. Yea, yea, teach me more yet of thy wisdom. She answers, Seemly is it that I do according to thy will, and show thee forth more reeds of great avail for thy prayer's sake and thy wisdom. And she spake withal, Be kindly to friend and kin, and reward not their trespasses against thee. Bear and forbear, and win for thee thereby long-enduring praise of men. Take good heed of evil things, a maze love and a man's wife, Full oft thereof doth ill befall. Let not thy mind be overmuch crossed By unwise men at thronged meetings of folk, For oft these speak worse than they wot of, Lest thou be called a dastard, And art minded to think that thou art even as is said. Slay such a one on another day, And so reward his ugly talk. If thou farest by the way whereas bide evil things, Be well ware of thyself. Take not harbour near the highway, though thou be benighted, for oft abide there ill whites for men's bewilderment. Let not fair women beguile thee, such as thou mayest meet at the feast, so that the thought thereof stand thee instead of sleep and a quiet mind, yea, draw them not to thee with kisses or other sweet things of love. If thou hearest the fool's word of a drunken man, strive not with him being drunk with drink and witless. Many a grief, yea, and the very death, groweth from out such things. Fight thy foes in the field, nor be burnt in thine house. Never swear thou wrongsome oath. Great and grim is the reward for the breaking of plighted troth. Give kind heed to dead men, sick dead, sea dead, or sword dead. Deal heedfully with their dead corpses. Trow never in him for whom thou hast slain father, brother, or whatso near kin, yea, though young he be, for oft waxes wolf in youngling. Look thou with good heed to the wiles of thy friends. But little skill is given to me that I should foresee the ways of thy life, yet good it were that hate fell not on thee from those of thy wife's house. Sigurd spake. None among the sons of men can be found wiser than thou, and thereby swear I that thee will I have as my own, 
for near to my heart thou liest. She answers, Thee would I fainest choose, though I had all men's sons to choose from. And thereto they plighted troth, both of them. Chapter 22 Now Sigurd rides away. Many-folded is his shield, and blazing with red gold. And the image of a dragon is drawn thereon, and this same was dark brown above, and bright red below. And with even such like image was adorned helm, and saddle, and coat armor. And he was clad in the golden burney, and all his weapons were gold wrought. Now for this cause was the drake drawn on all his weapons, that when he was seen of men, all folk might know who went there. Yea, all those who had heard of his slayings of that great dragon that the Vyrings call Fafnir. And for that cause are his weapons gold-wrought and brown of hue, and that he was by far above other men in courtesy and goodly manners, and well nigh in all things else. And when as folk tell of all the mightiest champions and the noblest chiefs, then ever is he named the foremost, and his name goes wide about on all tongues north of the sea of the Greek lands, and even so shall it be while the world endures. Now the hair of this Sigurd was golden red of hue, fair of fashion, and falling down in great locks. Thick and short was his beard, and of no other color. High-nosed he was, broad and high-boned of face, so keen were his eyes that few durst gaze up under the brows of him. His shoulders were as broad to look on as the shoulders of two. Most duly was his body fashioned betwixt height and breadth, and in such wise as was seemliest. And this is the sign told of his height, that when he was girt with his sword, Gram, which same was seven spans long, as he went through the full-grown rye-fields, the dew-shoe of the said sword smote the ears of the standing corn. And for all that, greater was his strength than his growth. Well could he wield sword, and cast forth spear, shoot shaft and hold shield, bend bow, back horse, and do all the goodly deeds that he learned in his youth's days. Wise he was to know things yet undone, and the voice of all fowls he knew. Wherefore, few things fell on him unawares. Of many words he was, and so fair of speech withal, that whensoever he made it his business to speak, he never left speaking, before that to all men it seemed full sure that no otherwise must the matter be than as he said. His sport and pleasure it was to give aid to his own folk, and to prove himself in mighty matters, to take wealth from his unfriends, and give the same to his friends. Never did he lose heart, and of naught was he a dread. Chapter 23 Fourth Sigurd rides, till he comes to a great and goodly dwelling, the lord whereof was a mighty chief called Hamir. He had to wife a sister of Brynhild, who was hight Beckhild, because she had bidden at home and learned handicraft, whereas Brynhild fared with helm and burney unto the wars, wherefore was she called Brynhild. Hamir and Beckhild had a son called Alsvither, the most courteous of men. 
Now at this stead were men disporting them abroad. But when they see the man riding thereto, they leave their play to wonder at him, for none such had they ever seen erst. So they went to meet him, and gave him good welcome. Alsvither bade him abide and have such things at his hands as he would, and he takes his bidding blithesomely. Due service withal was established for him. Four men bore the treasure of gold from off the horse, and the fifth took it to him to guard the same. Therein were many things to behold, things of great price and seldom seen, and great game and joy men had to look on burnies and helms and mighty rings and wondrous great golden stoops and all kinds of war weapons. So there dwelt Sigurd long in great honor holden, and tidings of that deed of fame spread wide through all lands of how he had slain that hideous and fearful dragon. So good joyance they had there together, and each was leal to other, and their sport was in the arraying of their weapons, and the shafting of their arrows, and the flying of their falcons. Chapter 24 In those days came home to Hamir, Brynhild, his foster daughter. And she sat in her bower with her maidens, and could more skill in handicraft than other women. She sat, overlaying cloth with gold, and sewing therein the great deeds which Sigurd had wrought, the slaying of the worm, and the taking of the wealth of him, and the death of Regan withal. Now tells the tale that on a day Sigurd rode into the wood with hawk and hound and men thronging. And whenas he came home, his hawk flew up to a high tower and sat him down on a certain window. Then feared Sigurd after his hawk, and he saw where sat a fair woman, and knew that it was Brynhild. And he deems all things he sees there to be worthy together, both her fairness and the fair things she wrought. And therewith he goes into the hall, but has no more joyance in the games of the menfolk. Then spake Alsvither, Why art thou so bare of bliss? This manner of thine grieveth us thy friends. Why then wilt thou not hold to thy gleesome ways? Lo, thy hawks pine now, and thy horse grani droops, and long will it be ere we are booted thereof? Sigurd answered, Good friend, hearken to what lies on my mind. For my hawk flew up into a certain tower, and when I came thereto and took him, lo, there I saw a fair woman and she sat by a needlework of gold, and did thereon my deeds that are past, and my deeds that are to come. Then said Alsvither, Thou hast seen Brynhild, Buthli's daughter, the greatest of great women. Yea, verily, said Sigurd, but how came she hither? Alsvither answered, Short space there was, betwixt the coming hither of the twain of you. Says Sigurd, Yea, but a few days agone I knew her for the best of the world's women. Alsvither said, Give not all thine heed to one woman, being such a man as thou art. Ill life to sit lamenting for what we may not have. I shall go meet her, says Sigurd, and get from her love like my love, and give her a gold ring in token thereof. Alsvither answered, None has ever yet been known whom she would let sit beside her, 
or to whom she would give drink. For ever will she hold to warfare and to the winning of all kinds of fame. Sigurd said, We know not for sure whether she will give us answer or not, or grant us a seat beside her. So the next day after, Sigurd went to the bower. But Alsvither stood outside the bower door, fitting shafts to his arrows. Now Sigurd spake. Abide, fair and hale lady. How farest thou? She answered. Well it fares. My kin and my friends live yet. But who shall say what good hap folk may bear to their life's end? He sat him down by her. And there came in four damsels with great golden beakers and the best of wine therein, and these stood before the twain. Then said Brynhild, This seat is for few, but and if my father come. He answered, Yet it is granted to one that likes me well. Now that chamber was hung with the best and fairest of hanging, and the floor thereof was all covered with cloth. Sigurd spake, Now has it come to pass, even as thou didst promise. Oh, be thou welcome here, said she, and arose therewith, and the four damsels with her, and bore the golden beaker to him, and bade him drink. He stretched out his hand to the beaker, and took it, and her hand withal, and drew her down beside him, and cast his arms round about her neck, and kissed her, and said, Thou art the fairest that was ever born. But Brynhild said, Ah, wiser is it not to cast faith and troth into a woman's power, for ever shall they break that they have promised. He said, That day would dawn the best of days over our heads, whereon each of each should be made happy. Brynhild answered, It is not fated that we should abide together. I am a shield may, and wear helm on head even as the kings of war, and them full oft I help. Neither is the battle become loathsome to me. Sigurd answered, What fruit shall be of our life if we live not together? Harder to bear this pain that lies hereunder than the stroke of sharp sword. Brynhild answers, I shall gaze on the hosts of the war-kings, but thou shalt wed Gudrun, the daughter of Giuki. Sigurd answers, What king's daughter lives to beguile me? Neither am I double-hearted herein, and now I swear by the gods that thee shall I have for mine own, or no woman else. And even such likewise spake she. Sigurd thanked her for her speech, and gave her a gold ring. And now they swore oath anew, and so he went his ways to his men, and is with them a while in great bliss. Chapter 25 There was a king hight Giuki, who ruled a realm south of the Rhine. Three sons he had, thus named, Gunnar, Hugni and Gutorm, and Gudrun was the name of his daughter, the fairest of maidens. And all these children were far before all other kings' children, in all prowess, and in goodliness and growth withal. 
ever were his sons at the wars, and wrought many a deed of fame. But Giuki had wedded Grimhild, the wise wife. Now, Budli was the name of a king mightier than Giuki, mighty though they both were. And Atli was the brother of Brynhild. Atli was a fierce man, and a grim, great and black to look on, yet noble of mien withal, and the greatest of warriors. Grimhild was a fierce-hearted woman. Now the days of the Gukings bloomed fair, and chiefly because of those children, so far before the sons of men. On a day, Gudrun says to her maize that she may have no joy of heart. Then a certain woman asked her wherefore her joy was departed. She answered, Grief came to me in my dreams. Therefore is there sorrow in my heart, since thou must needs ask thereof. Tell it me then thy dream, said the woman, for dreams oft forecast but the weather. Gudrun answers, Nay, nay, no weather is this. I dreamed that I had a fair hawk on my wrist, feathered with feathers of gold. Says the woman, Many have heard tell of thy beauty, thy wisdom, and thy courtesy. Some king's son abides thee then. Gudrun answers, I dreamed that naught was so dear to me as this hawk, and all my wealth had I cast aside rather than him. The woman said, Well then, the man thou shalt have will be of the goodliest, and well shalt thou love him. Gudrun answered, It grieves me that I know not who he shall be. Let us go seek Brynhild, for she belike will wot thereof. So they arrayed them in gold and many a fair thing, and she went with her damsels till they came to the hall of Brynhild, and that hall was dight with gold and stood on a high hill. And when as their goings were seen it was told Brynhild that a company of women drove toward the burg in gilded wagons. That shall be Gudrun Gyuki's daughter, says she. I dreamed of her last night. Let us go meet her. No fairer woman may come to our house. So they went abroad to meet them, and gave them good greeting, and they went into the goodly hall together. Fairly painted it was within, and well adorned with silver vessel. Cloths were spread under the feet of them, and all folk served them. And in many wise they sported. But Gudrun was somewhat silent. Then said Brynhild, Ill, to abash folk of their mirth, prithee, do not so. Let us talk together for our disport of mighty kings and their great deeds. Good talk, says Gudrun. Let us do even so. What kings deemest thou to have been the first of all men? Brynhild says, The sons of Haki and Hogbarth withal. They brought to pass many a deed of fame in their warfare. Gudrun answers, Great men, certes, and of noble fame, yet Sigar took their one sister, and burned the other house and all, and they may be called slow to revenge the deed. Why didst thou not name my brethren, who are held to be the first of men as at this time? Brynhild says, Men of good hope are they, surely though but little proven hitherto. But one I know, far before them, 
Sigurd, the son of Sigmund the king. A youngling was he in the days when he slew the sons of Hunding, and revenged his father and Elami his mother's father, said Gudrun. By what token tellest thou that? Brynhild answered, His mother went amid the dead, and found Sigmund the king sore wounded, and would bind up his hurts. But he said he grew over old for war, and bade her lay this comfort to her heart, that she should bear the most famed of sons, and wise was the wise man's word therein. For after the death of King Sigmund she went to King Alf, and there was Sigurd nourished in great honor, and day by day he wrought some deed of fame, and is the man most renowned of all the wide world. Gudrun says, From love hast thou gained these tidings of him. But for this cause came I here, to tell thee dreams of mine which have brought me great grief. Says Brynhild, Let not such matters sadden thee. Abide with thy friends, who wish thee blithesome, all of them. This I dreamed, said Gudrun, that we went, a many of us in company, from the bower, and we saw an exceeding great heart that far excelled all other deer ever seen, and the hair of him was golden. And this deer we were all fain to take, but I alone got him, and he seemed to me better than all things else. But Sithens, thou, Brynhild, didst shoot and slay my deer, even at my very knees, and such grief was that to me that scarce might I bear it. And then afterwards thou gavest me a wolf-cub, which besprinkled me with the blood of my brethren. Brynhild answers, I will a-read thy dream, even as things shall come to pass hereafter. For Sigurd shall come to thee, even he whom I have chosen for my well-beloved. And Grimhild shall give him mead, mingled with hurtful things, which shall cast us all into mighty strife. Him shalt thou have, and him shalt thou quickly miss. And Otli the king shalt thou wed, and thy brethren shalt thou lose, and slay Otli withal, in the end. Guthrun answers, Grief and woe, to know that such things shall be. And therewith she and hers get them gone home to King Gyuki. Chapter 26 Now Sigurd goes his ways with all that great treasure, and in friendly wise he departs from them. And on Grani he rides, with all his war-gear and the burden withal. And thus he rides until he comes to the hall of King Gyuki. There he rides into the burg. And that sees one of the king's men, and he spake withal. Sure it may be deemed that here has come one of the gods, for his array is all done with gold, and his horse is far mightier than other horses, and the manner of his weapons is most exceeding goodly, and most of all, the man himself far excels all other men ever seen. So the king goes out with his court, and greets the man, and asks, Who art thou, who thus ridest into my burg, as none has durst hitherto without the leave of my sons? He answered, I am called Sigurd, son of King Sigmund. Then said King Gyuki, 
Be thou welcome here, then, and take at our hands whatso thou willest. So he went into the king's hall, and all men seemed little beside him. And all men served him, and there he abode in great joyance. Now oft they all ride abroad together, Sigurd and Gunnar and Hugni. And ever is Sigurd far the foremost of them, mighty men of their hands though they were. But Grimhild finds how heartily Sigurd loved Brynhild, and how oft he talks of her. And she falls to thinking how well it were if he might abide there and wed the daughter of King Giuki. For she saw that none might come anigh to his goodliness, and what faith and good help there was in him, and how that he had more wealth withal than folk might tell of any man. And the king did to him even as unto his own sons, and they for their parts held him of more worth than themselves. So, on a night, as they sat at the drink, the queen arose and went before Sigurd, and said, Great joy we have in thine abiding here, and all good things will we put before thee to take of us. Lo now, take this horn and drink thereof. So he took it and drank, and therewithal she said, Thy father shall be Giuki the king, and I shall be thy mother, and Gunnar and Hugni shall be thy brethren, and all this shall be sworn with oaths each to each, and then surely shall the like of you never be found on earth. Sigurd took her speech well, for with the drinking of that drink all memory of Brynhild departed from him. So there he abode a while. And on a day went Grimhild to Giuki the king, and cast her arms about his neck, and spake, Behold, there has now come to us the greatest of great hearts that the world holds, and needs must he be trusty, and of great avail. Give him thy daughter, then, with plenteous wealth, and as much of rule as he will. Perchance thereby he will be well content to abide here ever. The king answered, Seldom does it befall that kings offer their daughters to any, yet in higher wise will it be done to offer her to this man than to take lowly prayers for her from others. On a night Gudrun pours out the drink, and Sigurd beholds her, how fair she is, and how full of all courtesy. Five seasons Sigurd abode there, and ever they passed their days together in good honor and friendship. And so it befell that the kings held talk together. And Giuki said, Great good thou givest us, Sigurd, and with exceeding strength thou strengthenest our realm. Then Gunnar said, All things that may be we will do for thee, so thou abidest here long. Both dominion shalt thou have, and our sister, freely and unprayed for, whom another man would not get for all his prayers. Sigurd says, Thanks have ye for this wherewith ye honor me, and gladly will I take the same. Therewith they swore brotherhood together, and to be even as if they were children of one father and one mother. And a noble feast was holden, and endured many days, and Sigurd drank 
at the wedding of him and Gudrun. And there might men behold all manner of game and glee, and each day the feast better and better. Now, fare these folk wide over the world, and do many great deeds, and slay many kings' sons, and no man has ever done such works of prowess as did they. Then home they come again with much wealth won in war. Sigurd gave of the serpent's heart to Gudrun, and she ate thereof, and became greater-hearted and wiser than e'er before. And the son of these twain was called Sigmund. Now on a time went Grimhild to Gunnar her son, and spake, Fair blooms the life and fortune of thee, but for one thing only, and namely, whereas thou art unwedded. Go woo Brunhild, good read is this, and Sigurd will ride with thee. Gunnar answered, Fair is she, certes, and I am fain enow to win her. And therewith he tells his father, and his brethren, and Sigurd, and they all prick him on to that wooing. Chapter 27 Now they array them joyously for their journey, and ride over hill and dale to the house of King Budli, and woo his daughter of him. In good wise he took their speech, if so be that she herself would not deny them. But he said withal that so high-minded was she, that that man only might wed her whom she would. Then they ride to Hlumdalir, and there Hamir gave them good welcome. So Gunnar tells his errand. Hamir says that she must needs wed but him whom she herself chose freely, and tells them how her abode was but a little way thence, and that he deemed that him only would she have who should ride through the flaming fire that was drawn around about her hall. So they depart and come to the hall and the fire, and see there a castle with a golden roof-ridge, and all around about a fire roaring up. Now Gunnar rode on Gotti, but Hugni on Hulkvir. And Gunnar smote his horse to face the fire, but he shrank aback. Then said Sigurd, Why givest thou back, Gunnar? He answered, the horse will not tread this fire, but lend me thy horse, Grani. Yea, with all my good will, says Sigurd. Then Gunnar rides him at the fire, and yet no wise will Grani stir, nor may Gunnar any the more ride through that fire. So now they change semblance, Gunnar and Sigurd, even as Grimhild had taught them. Then Sigurd, in the likeness of Gunnar mounts and rides, Gram in his hand and golden spurs on his heels. Then leapt Grani into the fire when he felt the spurs, and a mighty roar arose as the fire burned ever madder and the earth trembled and the flames went up even unto the heavens, nor had any dared to ride as he rode, even as it were through the deep murk. But now the fire sank withal, and he leapt from his horse and went into the hall, even as the song says. Elder namat eisast in jurthat skjalfa, og har logi vith himni gneiva, 
Far tristestar fulkis reca, Elda rida, ye uferstiga. Sigurther grana, sferdi kerdi, Elder sloknadi, fur ödlingi. Logi aldra leigdist, fur lof gjörnum, Blicku redi, erregen auti. The flame flared at its maddest, Earth's fields fell a-quaking, As the red flame aloft licked the lowest of heaven. Few had been fain of the rulers of folk To ride through that flame, or thwarted to tread. Then Sigurd smote Grani with sword, And the flame was slaked before the king. Low lay the flames before the fane of fame, Bright gleamed the array that Regan erst owned. Now, when Sigurd had passed through the fire, he came into a certain fair dwelling, and therein sat Brynhild. She asked, What man is it? Then he named himself Gunnar, son of Gyuki, and said, Thou art awarded to me as my wife, by the good will and word of thy father and thy foster father, and I have ridden through the flames of thy fire according to thy word that thou hast set forth. I wot not clearly, said she, how I shall answer thee. Now Sigurd stood upright on the hall floor and leaned on the hilt of his sword, and he spake to Brynhild. In reward thereof shall I pay thee a great dower in gold and goodly things? She answered in heavy mood from her seat, whereas she sat like unto swan on billow, having a sword in her hand and a helm on her head and being clad in a burney. O Gunnar, she says, speak not to me of such things unless thou be the first and best of all men, for then shalt thou slay those my wooers if thou hast heart thereto. I have been in battles with the king of the Greeks, and our weapons were stained with red blood, and for such things still I yearn. He answered, Yea, certes, many great deeds hast thou done, but yet call thou to mind thine oath concerning the riding through of this fire, wherein thou didst swear that thou wouldst go with a man who should do this deed. So she found that he spoke but the sooth, and she paid heed to his words, and arose, and greeted him meetly. And he abode there three nights, and they lay in one bed together, but he took the sword, Gram, and laid it betwixt them. Then she asked him why he laid it there, and he answered, that in that wise must he needs wed his wife, or else get his bane. Then she took from off her the ring, Andvari's loom, which he had given her aforetime, and gave it to him. But he gave her another ring out of Fafnir's hoard. Thereafter he rode away through the same fire unto his fellows. And he and Gunnar changed semblances again, and rode unto Hlumdalir, and told how it had gone with them. That same day went Brynhild home to her foster-father, and tells him, as one whom she trusted, how that there had come a king to her. 
and he rode through my flaming fire and said he was come to woo me, and named himself Gunnar. But I said that such a deed might Sigurd alone have done, with whom I plighted truth on the mountain, and he is my first truth plight, and my well-beloved. Hamir said that things must needs abide even as now they had now come to pass. Brunhild said, Auslog, the daughter of me and Sigurd, shall be nourished here with thee. Now the king's fair home, but Brynhild goes to her father. Grimhild welcomes the king's meetly, and thanks Sigurd for his fellowship, and withal is a great feast made, and many were the guests thereat. And thither came Budli the king with his daughter Brynhild, and his son Atli. And for many days did the feast endure. And at that feast was Gunnar wedded to Brynhild. But when it was brought to an end, once more has Sigurd memory of all the oaths that he sware unto Brynhild. Yet withal he let all things abide in rest and peace. Brunhild and Gunnar sat together in great game and glee and drank goodly wine. Chapter 28 On a day as the queens went to the river to bathe them, Brynhild waded the farthest out into the river. Then asked Guthrun what that deed might signify. Brunhild said, Yea, and why then should I be equal to thee in this matter, more than in others? I am minded to think that my father is mightier than thine, and my true love has wrought many wondrous works of fame, and hath ridden the flaming fire withal, while thy husband was but the thrall of King Hjalprak. Gudrun answered, full of wrath, Thou wouldst be wise if thou shouldst hold thy peace rather than revile my husband. Lo now! The talk of all men it is that none has ever abode in this world like unto him in all matters soever, and little it beseems thee of all folk to mock him who is thy first beloved. And Fafnir he slew, yea, and he rode thy flaming fire, whereas thou didst deem that he was Gunnar the king. And by thy side he lay, and took from thine hand the ring Anvari's loom. Here mayst thou well behold it. Then... Brynhild saw the ring and knew it, and waxed as wan as a dead woman. And she went home, and spake no word the evening long. So when Sigurd came to bed to Gudrun, she asked him why Gudrun's joy was so departed. He answered, I know not, but sore I misdoubt me that soon we shall know thereof over well. Gudrun said, why may she not love her life, having wealth and bliss, and the praise of all men, and the man with all that she would have? Ah, yea, said Sigurd. And where in all the world was she then, when she said that she deemed she had the noblest of all men, and the dearest to her heart of all? Gudrun answers, To morn will I ask her concerning this. Who is the liefest to her of all men for a husband? Sigurd said, Needs must I forbid thee this, and full surely wilt thou rue the deed, if thou doest it. Now the next morning they sat in the bower, and Brynhild was silent. Then spake Gudrun, Be merry, Brynhild, 
Grievest thou because of that speech of ours together? Or what other thing slayeth thy bliss? Brunhild answers, With naught but evil intent thou sayest this, for a cruel heart thou hast. Say not so, said Gudrun, but rather tell me all the tale. Brynhild answers, Ask such things only as are good for thee to know, matters meet for mighty dames. Good to love good things, when all goes according to thy heart's desire. Gudrun says, Early days for me to glory in that. But this word of thine looketh toward some foreseeing. What ill dost thou thrust at us? I did not to grieve thee. Brynhild answers, For this shalt thou pay, in that thou hast got Sigurd to thee. Nowise can I see thee living in the bliss thereof, whereas thou hast him, and the wealth and the might of him. But Guthrun answered, Not knew I of your words and vows together, and well might my father look to the meeting of me without dealing with thee first. No secret speech had we, quoth Brynhild, though we swore oath together, and full well didst thou know that thou wentest about to beguile me. Verily, thou shalt have thy reward, says Guthrun. Thou art mated better than thou art worthy of, but thy pride and rage shall be hard to slake belike, and therefore shall many a man pay. Ah, I should be well content, said Brynhild, if thou hadst not the nobler man. Gudrun answers, So noble a husband hast thou, that who knows of a greater king or a lord of more wealth and might? Says Brynhild, Sigurd slew Fafnir, and that only deed is of more worth than all the might of King Gunnar. Even as the song says, The worm Sigurd slew, nor e'er shall that deed be worsened by age while the world is alive. But thy brother, the king, never durst, never bore the flame to ride down, through the fire to fare. Guthrun answers, Grani would not abide the fire under Gunnar the king. But Sigurd durst the deed, and thy heart may well abide without mocking him. Brynhild answers, Nowise will I hide from thee, that I deem no good of Grimhild. Says Gudrun, Nay, lay no ill words on her, for in all things she is to thee as to her own daughter. Ah, says Brynhild, she is the beginning of all this bale that biteth so, and evil drink she bare to Sigurd, so that he had no more memory of my very name. All wrong thou talkest, a lie without measure is this, quoth Gudrun. Brynhild answered, Have thou joy of Sigurd, according to the measure of the wiles wherewith ye have beguiled me. Unworthily have ye conspired against me. May all things go with you as my heart hopes. Gudrun says, More joy shall I have of him than thy wish would give unto me. But to no man's mind it came that he had aforetime his pleasure of me. Nay, not once. Evil speech thou speakest, says Brunhild. When thy wrath runs off, thou wilt rue it. But come now, let us no more cast angry words one at the other, says Gudrun. Thou wert the first to cast such words at me, and now thou makest as if thou wouldst amend it. But a cruel and hard heart abides behind. Let us lay aside vain babble, says Brynhild. 
long did I hold my peace concerning my sorrow of heart. And lo now, thy brother alone do I love. Let us fall to other talk. Gudrun said, Far beyond all this doth thine heart lock. And so ugly ill befell from that going to the river, and that knowing of the ring, wherefrom did all their talk arise. Chapter 29 After this talk Brunhild lay abed, and tidings were brought to King Gunnar that Brunhild was sick. He goes to see her thereon, and asks what ails her. But she answered him not, but lay there as one dead. And when he was hard on her for an answer, she said, What didst thou with that ring that I gave thee? Even the one which King Budli gave me at our last parting, when thou and King Gyuki came to him, and threatened fire and the sword, unless ye had me to wife. Yea, at that time he led me apart, and asked me which I had chosen of those who were come. But I prayed him that I might abide to ward the land and be chief over the third part of his men. Then were there two choices for me to deal betwixt, either that I should be wedded to him whom he would, or lose all my weal and friendship at his hands. And he said withal that his friendship would be better to me than his wrath. Then I bethought me whether I should yield to his will or slay many a man, and therewithal I deemed that it would avail little to strive with him. And so it fell out that I promised to wed whomsoever should ride the horse, Grani, with Fafnir's hoard, and ride through my flaming fire, and slay those men whom I called on him to slay. And now so it was, that none durst ride save Sigurd only, because he lacked no heart thereto. Yea, and the worm he slew, and Regan, and five kings beside. But thou, Gunnar, durst do naught, as pale as a dead man didst thou wax, and no king thou art, and no champion. So whereas I made a vow unto my father that him alone would I love who is the noblest man alive, and that this is none save Sigurd, lo, now I have broken my vow and brought it to naught, since he is none of mine. And for this cause shall I compass thy death, and a great reward of evil things have I wherewith to reward Grimhild. Never, I wot, has woman lived eviler or of lesser heart than she. Gunnar answered in such wise that few might hear him. Many a vile word hast thou spoken, and an evil-hearted woman art thou, whereas thou revilest a woman far better than thou. Never would she curse her life as thou dost. Nay, nor has she tormented dead folk, or murdered any, but lives her life well praised of all. Brynhild answered, Never have I dwelt with evil things privily, or done loathsome deeds, yet most fain I am to slay thee. And therewith would she slay King Gunnar. But Hugni laid her in fetters. But then Gunnar spake withal. Nay, I will not that she abide in fetters. Then said she, Heed it not, for never again seest thou me glad in thine hall, never drinking, never at the chess-play, never speaking the words of kindness, 
never overlaying the fair cloths with gold, never giving thee good counsel. Ah, my sorrow of heart that I might not get Sigurd to me. Then she sat up and smote her needlework and rent it asunder and bade set open her bower doors that far away might the wailings of her sorrow be heard. Then great mourning and lamentation there was, so that folk heard it far and wide through that abode. Now Gudrun asked her bower maidens why they sat so joyless and downcast. What has come to you, that ye fare ye as witless women? Or what unheard of wonders have befallen you? Then answered a waiting lady, Heitzfafferlöth, An untimely, an evil day it is, and our hall is fulfilled of lamentation. Then spake Gudrun to one of her handmaids, Arise, for we have slept long. Go, wake Brynhild, and let us fall to our needlework and be merry. Nay, nay, she says, nowise may I wake her, or talk with her. For many days she has drunk neither mead nor wine. Surely the wrath of the gods has fallen upon her. Then spake Gudrun to Gunnar. Go and see her, she says, and bid her know that I am grieved with her grief. Nay, says Gunnar, I am forbid to go see her, or to share her weal. Nevertheless he went unto her, and strives in many wise to have speech of her but gets no answer whatsoever. Therefore he gets him gone and finds Hergni, and bids him go see her. He said he was loath thereto, but went, and get no more of her. Then they go and find Sigurd, and pray him to visit her. He answered naught thereto. So matters abode for that night. But the next day, when he came home from hunting, Sigurd went to Gudrun and spake. In such wise do matters show to me, as though great and evil things will betide from this trouble and upheaving, and that Brunhild will surely die. Gudrun answers, O oh my lord, by great wonders is she encompassed. Seven days and seven nights has she slept, and none has dared wake her. Nay, she sleeps not, said Sigurd. Her heart is dealing rather with dreadful intent against me. Then said Gudrun, weeping, Woe worth a while for thy death! Go and see her, and what if her fury may not be abated? Give her gold, and smother up her grief and anger therewith. Then Sigurd went out and found the door of Brynhild's chamber open. He deemed she slept, and drew the clothes from off her, and said, Awake, Brynhild, the sun shineth now over all the house, and thou hast slept enough. Cast off grief from thee, and take up gladness. She said, And how then hast thou dared to come to me? In this treason none was worse to me than thou. Said Sigurd, Why wilt thou not speak to folk? For what cause sorrowest thou? Brynhild answers, Ah, to thee will I tell of my wrath. Sigurd said, As one under a spell art thou, if thou deemest that there is aught cruel in my heart against thee? But thou hast him for husband whom thou didst choose. Ah, nay, she said, 
Never did Gunnar ride through the fire to me, nor did he give me to dower the host of the slain. I wondered at the man who came into my hall, for I deemed indeed that I knew thine eyes, but I might not see clearly, or divide the good from the evil, because of the veil that lay heavy on my fortune. Says Sigurd, No nobler men are there than the sons of Gyuki. They slew the king of the Danes, and that great chief, the brother of King Budli. Brynhild answered, Surely, for many an ill deed must I reward them. Mind me not of my griefs against them. But thou, Sigurd, slewest the worm, and rodest the fire through, yea, and for my sake, and not one of the sons of King Gyuki. Sigurd answers, I am not thy husband, and thou art not my wife, yet did a far-famed king pay dower to thee. Says Brynhild, Never looked I at Gunnar in such a wise that my heart smiled on him, and hard and fell am I to him, though I hide it from others. A marvellous thing, says Sigurd, not to love such a king. What angers thee most? For surely his love should be better to thee than gold. This is the sorest sorrow to me, she said, that the bitter sword is not reddened in thy blood. Have no fear thereof, says he. No long while to wait, or the bitter sword stand deep in my heart. And no worse needest thou to pray for thyself, for thou wilt not live when I am dead. The days of our two lives shall be few enough from henceforth. Brynhild answers, Enough and to spare of Baal is in thy speech, since thou bereayest me, and didst twin me of all bliss. Not do I heed my life or death. Sigurd answers, Ah, live and love King Gunnar, and me withal, and all my wealth will I give thee, if thou die not. Brynhild answers, Thou knowest me not, nor the heart that is in me? For thou art the first and best of all men, and I am become the most loathsome of all women to thee. This is truer, says Sigurd, that I love thee better than myself, though I fell into the wiles from whence our lives may not escape. For when so my own heart and mind availed me, then I sorrowed sore that thou wert not my wife. But, as I might, I put my trouble from me, for in a king's dwelling was I, and withal, and in spite of all, I was well content that we were all together. Well may it be that that shall come to pass which is foretold. Neither shall I fear the fulfillment thereof. Brunhild answered and said, Too late thou tellest me that my grief grieved thee. Little pity shall I find now. Sigurd said, this my heart would, that thou and I should go into one bed together, even so wouldst thou be my wife. Said Brynhild, Such words may no wise be spoken, nor will I have two kings in one hall. I will lay my life down, rather than beguile Gunnar the king. And therewith she called to mind how they met, they two, on the mountain, and swore oath each to each. But now all is changed, and I will not live. I might not call to mind thy name, 
said Sigurd, or know thee again before the time of thy wedding. The greatest of all griefs is that. Then said Brunhild, I swore an oath to wed the man who should ride my flaming fire, and that oath will I hold to, or die. Rather than thou die, I will wed thee, and put away Gudrun, said Sigurd. But therewithal so swelled the heart betwixt the sides of him, that the rings of his burney burst asunder. I will not have thee, says Brunhild, nay, nor any other. Then Sigurd got him gone. So saith the song of Sigurd. Out then went Sigurd, the great king's well-loved, from the speech and the sorrow, sore drooping, so grieving that the shirt round about him of iron rings woven from the sides break asunder of the brave in the battle. So when Sigurd came into the hall, Gunnar asked if he had come to a knowledge of what great grief lay heavy on her, or if she had power of speech. And Sigurd said that she lacked it not. So now Gunnar goes to her again, and asked her what wrought her woe, or if there were anything that might amend it. I will not live, says Brunhild, for Sigurd has bereaved me, yea, and thee no less, whereas thou didst suffer him to come into my bed. Lo thou, two men in one dwelling I will not have, and this shall be Sigurd's death, or thy death, or my death. For now he has told Gudrun all, and she is mocking me even now! Chapter 30 Thereafter Brynhild went out and sat under her bower wall, and had many words of wailing to say. And still she cried that all things were loathsome to her, both land and lordship alike, so she might not have Sigurd. But therewith came Gunnar to her, yet again, and Brynhild spake. Thou shalt lose both realm and wealth, and thy life, and me, for I shall fare home to my kin, and abide there in sorrow, unless thou slayest Sigurd and his son. Never nourish thou a wolf-cub. Gunnar grew sick at heart thereat, and might nowise see what fearful thing lay beneath it all. He was bound to Sigurd by oath, and this way and that way swung the heart within him, but at the last he bethought him of the measureless shame if his wife went from him, and he said within himself, Brunhild is better to me than all things else, and the fairest woman of all women, and I will lay down my life rather than lose the love of her. And herewith he called to him his brother, and spake, Trouble is heavy on me. And he tells him that he must needs slay Sigurd, for that he has failed him wherein he trusted him. So let us be lords of the gold and the realm withal. Hugni answers, Ill it behooves us to break our oaths with rack and wrong, and withal great aid we have in him. No kings shall be as great as we, if so be the king of the Hunfolk may live. Such another brother-in-law never may we get again. Bethink thee how good it is to have such a brother-in-law and such sons to our sister. 
but well I see how things stand, for this has Brunhild stirred thee up to, and surely shall her counsel drag us into huge shame and scathe. Gunnar says, Yet shall it be brought about, and lo, a reed thereto. Let us egg on our brother Gutorm to the deed. He is young, and of little knowledge, and is clean out of all the oaths moreover. Ah, set about in ill wise, says Hergni, and though indeed it may well be compassed, a due reward shall we gain for the burial of such a man as is Sigurd. Gunnar says, Sigurd shall die, or I shall die. And therewith he bids Brynhild arise, and be glad at heart. So she arose, and still, ever she said, that Gunnar should come no more into her bed, till the deed was done. So the brothers fall to talk, and Gunnar says that it is a deed well worthy of death, that taking of Brynhild's maidenhead. So come now, let us prick on Gutorm to do the deed. Therewith they call him to them, and offer him gold and great dominion, as they well have might to do. Yea, and they took a certain worm, and somewhat of wolf's flesh, and let seethe them together, and gave him to eat of the same, even as the singer sings. Fish of the wild wood, worm smooth crawling, with wolf meat mingled, they minced for Gutorm. Then in the beaker, in the wine his mouth knew, they set it, still doing more deeds of wizards. Wherefore, with the eating of this meat he grew so wild and eager, and with all things about him, and with the heavy words of Grimhild, that he gave his word to do the deed, and mighty honor they promised him in reward thereof. But of these evil wiles not at all knew Sigurd, for he might not deal with his shape and fate, nor the measure of his life days. Neither deemed he that he was worthy of such things at their hands. So Gutorm went in to Sigurd the next morning as he lay upon his bed, yet durst he not do aught against him, but shrank back out again. Yea, for even so he fared a second time, for so bright and eager were the eyes of Sigurd that few durst look upon him. But the third time he went in, and there lay Sigurd asleep. Then Gutorm drew his sword and thrust Sigurd through, in such wise that the sword-point smote into the bed beneath him. Then Sigurd awoke with that wound, and Gutorm gat him unto the door, but therewith Sigurd caught up the sword Grom and cast it after him, and it smote him on the back, and struck him asunder in the midst, so that the feet of him fell one way, and the head and hands back into the chamber. Now Gudrun lay asleep on Sigurd's bosom, but she woke up unto woe that may not be told of, all swimming in the blood of him, and in such wise did she bewail her with weeping and words of sorrow that Sigurd rose up on the bolster and spake. Weep not, said he, for thy brothers live for thy delight. But a young son have I, too young to beware of his foes, and an ill turn have these played against their own fortune for never will they get a mightier brother-in-law to ride abroad with them. Nay, 
nor a better son to their sister than this one, if he may grow to man's estate. Lo, now is that come to pass which was foretold me long ago, but from mine eyes has it been hidden, for none may fight against his fate and prevail. Behold, this has Brynhild brought to pass, even she who loves me before all men. But this may I swear, that never have I wrought ill to Gunnar, but rather have ever held fast to my oath with him, nor was I ever too much a friend to his wife. And now, if I had been forewarned and had been afoot with my weapons, then should many a man have lost his life, or ever I had fallen, and all those brethren should have been slain, and a harder work would the slaying of me have been than the slaying of the mightiest bull or the mightiest boar of the wild wood. And even therewithal life left the king. But Guthrun moaned and drew a weary breath, and Brynhild heard it and laughed when she heard her moaning. Then said Gunnar, Thou laughest not because thy heart-roots are gladdened, or else why doth thy visage wax so wan? Sure an evil creature thou art, most like thou art nigh to thy death. Lo now, how meet would it be for thee to behold thy brother Otley slain before thine eyes, and that thou shouldst stand over him dead, whereas we must needs now stand over our brother-in-law in such a case, our brother-in-law and our brother's bane. She answered, None need mock at the measure of slaughter being unfulfilled. Yet heedeth not Otley your wrath or your threats. Yea, he shall live longer than ye, and be a mightier man. Hergni spake and said, Now hath come to pass the soothsaying of Brynhild, an ill work not to be atoned for. And Gudrun said, my kinsmen have slain my husband. But ye, when ye next ride to the war, and are come into the battle, then shall ye look about and see that Sigurd is neither on the right hand nor the left, and ye shall know that he was your good hap and your strength. And if he had lived, and had sons, then should ye have been strengthened by his offspring and his kin. Chapter 31 Arvarthas Gudrun, Gerdisk at Deja, Erhon sat sorgful, Ufer Sigurdi. Gudrun of old days drew near to dying, as she sat in sorrow over Sigurd. Yet she sighed not, nor smote hand on hand, nor wailed she aught, as other women. Then went earls to her, full of all wisdom, fain help to deal to her dreadful heart. Hushed was Gudrun of wail or greeting, but with a heavy woe was her heart a-breaking. Bright and fair sat the great earl's brides, gold-arrayed before Gudrun. Each told the tale of her great trouble, the bitterest bale she erst abode. Then spake Gjauflaug, Gjuki's sister, Lo, upon earth I live most loveless, who of five mates must see the ending of daughters twain and three sisters, 
of brethren eight, and abide behind lonely. Not Gat-Guthrun of wail and greeting, so heavy was she for her dead husband, so dreadful-hearted for the king laid dead there. Then spake Herborg, queen of Hunland, Crueler tale have I to tell of, of my seven sons down in the Southlands, and the eighth man my mate felled in the death-mead. Father and mother and four brothers, on the wide sea the winds in death played with, the billows beat on the bulwark boards. Alone must I sing o'er them, alone must I array them, alone must my hands deal with their departing. And all this was in one season's wearing, and none was left for love or solace. Then was I bound a prey of the battle, when that same season wore to its ending. As a tiring may must I bind the shoon of the duke's high dame every day at dawning. From her jealous hate get I heavy mocking, cruel lashes she laid upon me. Never met I better master or mistress worser in all the wide world. Not get Guthrun of wail or greeting, so heavy was she for her dead husband, so dreadful-hearted for the king laid dead there. Then spake Gulrond, Yuki's daughter, O foster-mother, wise as thou mayst be, not canst thou better the young wife's bale. And she bade uncover the dead king's corpse. She swept the sheet away from Sigurd, and turned his cheek towards his wife's knees. Look on thy loved one, lay lips to his lips, e'en as thou wert clinging to thy king alive yet. Once looked Gudrun, one look only, and saw her lord's locks lying all bloody, the great man's eyes glazed and deadly, and his heart's bulwark broken by sword-edge. Back then sank Gudrun, back on the bolster. Loosed was her head array, red did her cheeks grow, and the raindrops ran down over her knees. Then wept Gudrun, Giuki's daughter, so that the tears flowed through the pillow. As the geese withal that were in the home field, the fair fowls the May owned, fell a-screaming. Then spake Gulrund, Giuki's daughter. Surely knew I no love like your love among all men on the mould abiding. Naught wouldst thou joy in, without or within doors, O my sister, save beside Sigurd. Then spake Gudrun, Giuki's daughter. Such was my Sigurd among the sons of Giuki, as is the king leek, or the low grass waxing or a bright stone strung on band, or a pearl of price on a prince's brow. Once was I counted by the king's warriors higher than any of Herion's maize. Now am I as little as the leaf may be, amid wind-swept wood, now when dead he lieth. I miss from my seat, I miss from my bed, my darling of sweet speech. Wrought the sons of Giuki, wrought the sons of Giuki this sore sorrow, yea, for their sister, most sore sorrow. 
so may your lands lie waste on all sides, as ye have broken your bounden oaths. Ne'er shalt thou, Gunnar, the gold have joy of, the dear-bought rings shall drag thee to death, whereon thou swearest oath unto Sigurd. Ah, in the days bygone, great mirth in the home-field, when my Sigurd set saddle on Grani, and they went their ways for the wooing of Brunhild. An ill day, an ill woman, and most ill hap. Then spake Brynhild, Buthli's daughter, May the woman lack both love and children, who gained greeting for thee, O Guthrun, who gave thee this morning many words. Then spake Gulrund, Gyuki's daughter, Hold peace of such words, thou hated of all folk. The bane of brave men hast thou been ever. All waves of ill wash over thy mind. To seven great kings hast thou been a sore sorrow, and the death of good will to wives and women. Then spake Brynhild, Budli's daughter, None but Otli brought bale upon us, my very brother, born of Budli, when we saw in the hall of the Hunnish people the gold gleaming on the kingly gukings. I have paid for that fairing, oft and full, and for the sight that then I saw. By a pillar she stood, and strained its wood to her. From the eyes of Brunhild, Budli's daughter, flashed out fire, and she snorted forth venom as the sore wounds she gazed on of the dead-slain Sigurd. Chapter 32 and now none might know for what cause Brunhild must bewail with weeping for what she had prayed for with laughter. But she spake, Such a dream had I, Gunnar, as that my bed was a cold, and that thou didst ride into the hands of thy foes. Lo now! Ill shall it go with thee and all thy kin, O ye breakers of oaths! For on the day thou slayest him, Dimly didst thou remember how thou didst blend thy blood with the blood of Sigurd, and with an ill reward hast thou rewarded him for all that he did well to thee, whereas he gave unto thee to be the mightiest of men. And well was it proven how fast he held to his oath sworn when he came to me and laid betwixt us the sharp-edged sword that in venom had been made hard. All too soon did ye fall to working wrong against him, and against me. Whenas I abode at home with my father, and had all that I would, and had no will that any one of you should be any of mine, as ye rode into our garth, ye three kings, together. But then Otley led me apart privily, and asked me if I would not have him who rode Grani. Yea, a man nowise like unto you. But in those days I plighted myself to the son of King Sigmund, and no other. And lo now, no better shall ye fare for the death of me. Then uprose Gunnar and laid his arms around her neck and besought her to live and have wealth from him. And all others in likewise letted her from dying. But she thrust them all from her. 
and said that it was not the part of any to let her in that which was her will. Then Gunnar called to Hergni, and prayed him for counsel, and bade him go to her, and see if he might perchance soften her dreadful heart, saying withal, that now they had need enough on their hands in the slaking of her grief, till time might get over. But Hergni answered, Nay, let no man hinder her from dying, for no gain will she be to us, nor has she been gainsome since she came hither. Now she bade bring forth much gold, and bade all those come hither who would have wealth. Then she caught up a sword, and thrust it under her armpit, and sank aside upon the pillows, and said, Come, take gold whoso will. But all held their peace. And she said, Take the gold, and be glad thereof. And therewith she spake unto Gunnar, Now, for a little while, will I tell of that which shall come to pass hereafter. For speedily shall ye be at one again with Gudrun, by the reed of Grimhild the wise wife. And the daughter of Gudrun and Sigurd shall be called Svanhild, the fairest of all women born. Gudrun shall be given to Atli, yet not with her good will. Thou shalt be fain to get Odrun, but that shall Atli forbid thee. But privily shall ye meet and much shall she love thee. Otley shall bewray thee, and cast thee into a worm-close, and thereafter shall Otley and his sons be slain, and Gudrun shall be their slayer. And afterwards shall the great waves bear her to the burg of King Yonaker, of whom she shall bear sons of great fame. Svanhild shall be sent from the land and given to King Jermanrek, and her shall bite the reed of Bicky. And therewithal is the kin of you clean gone, and more sorrow therewith for Gudrun. And now I pray thee, Gunnar, one last boon. Let make a great bale on the plain meads for all of us, for me and for Sigurd, and for those who were slain with him. And let that be covered over with cloth dyed red by the folk of the Gauls and burn me thereon. On one side of the king of the Huns, and on the other those men of mine, two at the head, and two at the feet, and two hawks withal, and even so is all shared equally. And lay there betwixt us a drawn sword, as in the other days when we twain stepped into one bed together, and then may we have the name of man and wife nor shall the door swing to at the heel of him, as I go behind him. Nor shall that be a niggard company, if there follow him those five bondwomen and eight bondmen whom my father gave me, and those burned there withal who were slain with Sigurd. Now, more yet would I say, but for my wounds, but my life-breath flits, the wounds open, yet have I said sooth. Now is the dead corpse of Sigurd arrayed in old and wise, and a mighty bale is raised, 
And when it was somewhat kindled, there was laid thereon the dead corpse of Sigurd Fafnir's bane, and his son of three winters, whom Brynhild had let slay, and Guthorm withal. And when the bale was all ablaze, thereunto was Brynhild borne out, when she had spoken with her bower maidens, and bid them take the gold that she would give. And then died Brynhild, and was burned, there by the side of Sigurd, and thus their life days ended. Chapter 33 Now so it is, that whoso heareth these tidings, saith that no such an one as was Sigurd was left behind him in the world, nor ever was such a man brought forth because of all the worth of him, nor may his name ever minish by eld in the Dutch tongue, nor in all the northern lands, while the world standeth fast. The story tells that on a day, as Gudrun sat in her bower, she fell to saying, Better was life in those days when I had Sigurd. He who is far above other men as gold is above iron, were the leek over other grass of the field, were the heart over other wild things. Until my brethren begrudged me such a man, the first and best of all men, and so they might not sleep or they had slain him. Huge clamor made Grani when he saw his master and lord sore wounded. And then I spoke to him, even as with a man, but he fell drooping down to the earth, for he knew that Sigurd was slain. Thereafter Gudrun gat her gone into the wild woods, and heard on all ways round about her the howling of wolves, and deemed death a merrier thing than life. Then she went till she came to the hall of King Alf, and sat there in Denmark with Thora, the daughter of Haukon, for seven seasons, and abode with good welcome. And she set forth her needlework before her, and did thereinto many deeds and great, and fair plays after the fashion of those days, swords and burnies, and all the gear of kings, and the ship of King Sigmund sailing along the land. Yea, and they wrought there how they fought, Sigar and Sigir, south in Fion. Such was their disport. And now Guthrun was somewhat solaced of her grief. So Grimhild comes to hear where Guthrun has take up her abode. And she calls her sons to talk with her, and asks whether they will make atonement to Guthrun for her son and her husband, and said that it was but meet and right to do so. Then Gunnar spake, and said that he would atone for her sorrows, with gold. So they sent for their friends, and array their horses, their helms, and their shields, and their burnies, and all their war-gear. And their journey was furnished forth in the noblest wise, and no champion who was of the great men might abide at home. And their horses were clad in mail-coats, and every knight of them had his helm done over with gold or with silver. Grimhild was of their company, for she said that their errand would never be brought fairly to pass if she sat at home. There were well five hundred men, and noble men rode with them. There was Valdemar of Denmark, and Amother, and Yarislaver withal. So they went into the hall of King Alf, and there abode them the Longbeards and Franks and Saxons. They feared with all their war-gear, and had over them red fur coats, 
even as the song says. Bernie's short-cut, strong helms hammered, girt with good swords, red hair gleaming. They were fain to choose good gifts for their sister, and spake softly to her, but in none of them would she trow. Then Gunnar brought unto her a drink mingled with hurtful things, and this she must needs drink, and with the drinking thereof she had no more memory of their guilt against her. But in that drink was blended the might of the earth and the sea with the blood of her son, and in that horn were all letters cut and reddened with blood, as is said hereunder. On the horn's face were there all the kin of letters, cut aright and reddened, how should I read them rightly? The lingfish long of the land of Hadding, wheat ears unshorn, and wild things inwards. In that beer were mingled many ills together, blood of all the wood and brown burnt acorns, the black dew of the hearth, the god-doomed dead beasts inwards, and the swine's liver sodden, because all wrongs that deadens. And so now, when their hearts are brought nigh to each other, great cheer they made. Then came Grimhild to Gudrun, and spake, All hail to thee, daughter! I give thee gold, and all kinds of good things to take to thee after thy father, dear-bought rings, and bedgear of the maids of the Huns, the most courteous and well-dight of all women, and thus is thy husband atoned for. And thereafter... Shalt thou be given to Otli, the mighty king, and be mistress of all his might? Cast not all thy friends aside for one man's sake, but do according to our bidding. Gudrun answers, Never will I wed Otli the king. Unseemly it is for us to get offspring betwixt us. Grimhild says, Nourish not thy wrath. It shall be to thee as if Sigurd and Sigmund were alive when thou hast borne sons. Gudrun says, I cannot take my heart from thoughts of him, for he was the first of all men. Grimhild says, So it is shapen, that thou must have this king, and none else. Says Gudrun, Give not this man to me, for an evil thing shall come upon thy kin from him and to his own sons shall he deal evil, and be rewarded with a grim revenge thereafter. Then waxed Grimhild fell at those words, and spake, Do even as we bid thee, and take therefore great honor and our friendship, and the steads withal called Vinbjörg and Valbjörg. And such might was in the words of her, that even so must it come to pass. Then Gudrun spake, Thus then must it needs befall, howsoever against the will of me, and for little joy shall it be, and for great grief. Then men leaped on their horses, and their women were set in wains. So they fared, four days a-riding, and other four a-shipboard, and yet four more again by land and road, till at the last they came to a certain high-built hall. Then came to meet Gudrun many folk thronging, and an exceedingly goodly feast was there made, even as the word had gone between either kin, and it passed forth in most proud and stately wise. And at that feast drinks Otley his bridal with Gudrun. 
but never did her heart laugh on him, and little sweet and kind was their life together. Chapter 34 Now tells the tale that on a night King Otley woke from sleep, and spake to Gudrun. Me dreamed, said he, that thou didst thrust me through with a sword. Then Gudrun reeded the dream, and said that it betokened fire, when as folk dreamed of iron. It befalls of thy pride belike, in that thou deemest thyself the first of men. Otley said, Moreover, I dreamed that here waxed two sorb-tree saplings, and fain I was that they should have no scathe of me. Then these were riven up by the roots, and reddened with blood, and borne to the bench, and I was bidden eat thereof. Yea, yet again I dreamed that two hawks flew from my hand hungry and unfed, and fared to hell, and meseemed their hearts were mingled with honey, and that I ate thereof. And then again I dreamed that two fair whelps lay before me yelling aloud, and that the flesh of them I ate, though my will went not with the eating. Gudrun says, No wise good are these dreams, yet shall they come to pass. Surely thy sons are nigh to death, and many heavy things shall fall upon us. Yet again I dreamed, said he, and methought I lay in a bath, and folk took counsel to slay me. Now these things wear away with time, but in no wise was their life together fond. Now falls Otley to thinking of where may be gotten that plenteous gold which Sigurd had owned, but King Gunnar and his brethren were lords thereof now. Otley was a great king and mighty, wise and a lord of many men, and now he falls to counsel with his folk as to the ways of them. He wotted well that Gunnar and his brethren had more wealth than any others might have, and so he falls to the reed of sending men to them, and bidding them to a great feast, and honoring them in diverse wise. And the chief of those messengers was hight Vingi. Now the queen wots of their conspiring, and misdoubts her that this would mean some beguiling of her brethren. So she cut runes, and took a gold ring, and knit therein a wolf's hair, and gave it into the hands of the king's messengers. Thereafter they go their ways according to the king's bidding, and, or ever they came aland, Vingi beheld the runes, and turned them about, in such wise as if Guthrun prayed her brethren in her runes to go meet King Otley. Thereafter they came to the hall of King Gunnar, and had good welcome at his hands, and great fires were made for them, and in great joyance they drank of the best of drink. Then spake Vingi, King Otley sends me hither, and is fain that ye go to his house and home in all glory, and take of him exceeding honors, helms and shields, swords and burnies, gold and goodly raiment, horses, hosts of war, and great and wide lands. For, saith he, he is fainest of all things to bestow his realm and lordship upon you. Then Gunnar turned his head aside and spoke to Hogni. In what wise shall we take this bidding? Might and wealth he bids us take, but no kings know I who have so much gold as we have, 
whereas we have all the hoard which lay once on Gnita Heath, and great are our chambers, and full of gold, and weapons for smiting, and all kinds of raiment of war, and well I wot that amidst all men my horse is the best, and my sword the sharpest, and my gold the most glorious. Hugni answers, A marvel is it to me of his bidding, for seldom hath he done in such a wise, and ill-counseled will it be to wend to him. Lo now, when I saw those dear-bought things the king sends us, I wondered to behold a wolf's hair knit to a certain gold ring. But like Guthrun deems him to be minded as a wolf towards us, and will have naught of our faring. But withal, Vingi shows him the runes which he said Guthrun had sent. Now, the most of folk go to bed, but these drank on still with certain others. And Kostbera, the wife of Hergni, the fairest of women, came to them and looked on the runes. But the wife of Gunnar was Glaumver, a great-hearted wife. So these twain poured out, and the kings drank, and were exceeding drunken. And Vingi notes it, and says, Not may I hide that King Otley is heavy of foot, and over-old for the warding of his realm. But his sons are young and of no account. Now will he give you rule over his realms, while they are yet thus young, and most fain will he be that ye have the joy thereof before all others. Now so it befell both that Gunnar was drunk, and that great dominion was held out to him. Nor might he work against the fate shapen for him. So he gave his word to go, and tells Hugni his brother thereof. But he answered, Thy word given must even stand now, nor will I fail to follow thee, but most loath am I to this journey. Chapter 35 So when men had drunk their fill, they feared to sleep. Then falls Kostbera to beholding the runes and spelling over the letters, and sees that beneath were other things cut, and that the runes are guileful. Yet because of her wisdom she had skill to read them aright. So then she goes to bed by her husband. But when they awoke, she spake unto Hugni, Thou art minded to wend away from home. Ill-counseled is that. Abide till another time. Scarce a keen reader of runes art thou, if thou deemest thou hast beheld in them the bidding of thy sister to this journey. Lo, I read the runes, and had marvel of so wise a woman as Gudrun is, that she should have miscut them. But that which lieth underneath beareth your bane with it. Yea, either she lacked a letter, or others have dealt guilefully with the runes. And now hearken to my dream. For therein methought there fell in upon us here a river exceeding strong, and break up the timbers of the hall. He answered, Full after ye evil of mind, ye women. But for me, I was not made in such wise as to meet men with evil, who deserve no evil. But like he will give us good welcome. She answered, Well, the thing must ye yourselves prove, but no friendship follows this bidding. But yet again, I dreamed that another river fell in here with a great and grimly rush, and tore up the dais of the hall, and break the legs of both you brethren. Surely that betokeneth somewhat. 
He answers, Meadows along our way, whereas thou didst dream of the river. For when we go through the meadows, plentifully doth the seeds of the hay hang about our legs. Again I dreamed, she says, that thy cloak was afire, and that the flame blazed up above the hall. Says he, Well, I want what that shall betoken. Here lieth my fair-dyed raiment, and it shall burn and blaze whenas thou dreamest of the cloak. Methought a bear came in, she says, and brake up the king's high seat, and shook his paws in such a wise that we were all a drad thereat, and he gat us all together into the mouth of him, so that we might avail us naught, and thereof fell great horror on us. He answered, Some great storm will befall, whereas thou hadst a white bear in thy mind. An urn, methought, came in, she says, and swept adown the hall, and drenched me and all of us with blood, and ill shall that betoken, for methought it was the double of King Otley. He answered, Full oft do we slaughter beasts freely, and smite down great neat for our cheer, and the dream of the urn has but to do with oxen. Yea, Otley is heart-whole toward us. And therewithal they cease this talk. Chapter 36 Now tells the tale of Gunnar, that in the same wise it fared with him. For when they awoke, Glaumvur, his wife, told him many dreams which seemed to her like to betoken guile coming. But Gunnar readed them all in other wise. This was one of them, said she. Methought a bloody sword was borne into the hall here, wherewith thou wert thrust through, and at either end of that sword wolves howled. The king answered, Cur dogs shall bite me belike. Bloodstained weapons oft betoken dogs' snappings. She said, Yet again I dreamed, that women came in heavy and drooping, and chose thee for their mate. Mayhappen these would be thy fateful women. He answered, Hard to a reed is this, and none may set aside the fated measure of his days, nor is it unlike that my time is short. So in the morning they arose, and were minded for the journey, but some letted them herein. Then cried Gunnar to the man who is called Fjörnir, Arise, and give us to drink goodly wine from great tuns, because may happen this shall be very last of all our feasts. For belike if we die the old wolf shall come by the gold, and that bear shall nowise spare the bite of his war-tusks. Then all the folk of his household brought them on their way, weeping. The son of Hogni said, Fare ye well with merry tide. The more part of their folk were left behind. Solar and Snivar, the sons of Hogni, fared with them, and a certain great champion named Orkning, who was the brother of Kostbera. So folk followed them down to the ships, and all letted them of their journey, but attained to naught therein. Then spake Glamvor and said, O Vingi! Most like that great ill-hap will come of thy coming, and mighty and evil things shall betide in thy travelling. He answered, Hearken to my answer, 
that I lie not aught, and may the high gallows and all things of grame have me if I lie one word. Then cried Costbera, Fare ye well with merry days. And Hugni answered, Be glad of heart, howsoever it may fare with us. And therewith they parted, each to their own fate. Then away they rode so hard and fast that well-nigh the half of the keel slipped away from the ship, and so hard they laid on to the oars that thole and gunwale brake. And when they came aland they made their ship fast. And then they rode a while on their noble steeds through the murk wildwood. And now they behold the king's army, and huge uproar and the clatter of weapons they hear from thence and they see there a mighty host of men, and the manifold array of them, even as they wrought there. And all the gates of the burg were full of men. So they rode up to the burg, and the gates thereof were shut. Then Hergni brake open the gates, and therewith they ride into the burg. Then spake Vingi, Well might ye have left this deed undone. Go to now, bide ye here, while I go seek your gallows-tree. Softly and sweetly I bade you hither, but an evil thing abode thereunder. Short while to bide, ere ye are tied up to that same tree. Hergni answered, None the more shall we waver for that cause. For little methinks have we shrunk aback when as men fell to fight, and naught shall it avail thee to make us afeard and for an ill fate hast thou wrought. And therewith they cast him down to earth, and smote him with their axe-hammers till he died. Chapter 37 Then they rode unto the king's hall. And King Otley arrayed his host for battle. And the ranks were so set forth that a certain wall there was betwixt them and the brethren. Welcome hither, said he. Deliver unto me that plenteous gold which is mine of right, even the wealth which Sigurd once owned, and which is now Gudrun's of right. Gunnar answered, Never gettest thou that wealth, and men of might must thou meet here, wherever we lay by life, if thou wilt deal with us in battle. Ah, belike thou settest forth this feast like a great man, and wouldst not hold thine hand from urn and wolf. Long ago I had it in my mind, said Otley, to take the lives of you, and be lord of the gold, and reward you for that deed of shame wherein ye beguiled the best of all your affinity. But now shall I revenge him. Hergni answered, Little will it avail to lie long brooding over that reed, leaving the work undone. And therewith they fell to hard fighting, at the first brunt with shot. But therewithal came the tidings to Gudrun, and when she heard thereof she grew exceeding wroth, and cast her mantle from her, and ran out and greeted those newcomers, and kissed her brethren, and showed them all love, and the last of all greetings was that betwixt them. Then said she, I thought I had set forth counsels, whereby ye should not come hither, but none may deal with his shape and fate. And withal she said, Will it avail aught to seek for peace? But stoutly and grimly they said nay thereto. 
So, she sees that the game goeth sorely against her brethren, and she gathers to her great stoutness of heart, and does on her a mail-coat, and takes to her a sword, and fights by her brethren, and goes as far forward as the bravest of man-folk, and all spoke in one wise that never saw any fairer defense than in her. Now the men fell thick, and far before all others was the fighting of those brethren, and the battle endured a long while unto midday. Gunnar and Hergni went right through the folk of Otley, and so tells the tale that all the mead ran red with blood. The sons of Hergni withal set on stoutly. Then spake Otley the king, A fair host and a great have we, and mighty champions withal, and yet have many of us fallen. And but evil am I apaid, in that nineteen of my champions are slain, and but six left alive. And therewithal was there a lull in the battle. Then spake Otley the king, Four brethren were we, and now am I left alone. Great affinity I gat to me, and deem my fortune well sped thereby. A wife I had, fair and wise, high of mind and great of heart, but no joyance may I have of her wisdom, for little peace is betwixt us. But ye, ye have slain many of my kin, and beguiled me of realm and riches, and for the greatest of all woes have slain my sister withal. Quoth Hugni, Why babblest thou thus? Thou wert the first to break the peace. Thou didst take my kinswoman and pine her to death by hunger, and didst murder her and take her wealth, an ugly deed for a king. Meet for mocking and laughter I deem it, that thou must needs make long tale of thy woes. Rather will I give thanks to the gods that thou fallest into ill. Chapter 38 now King Otley eggs on his folk to set on fiercely, and eagerly they fight. But the Gukings fell on so hard that King Otley gave back into the hall, and within doors was the fight, and fierce beyond all fights. That battle was the death of many a man, but such was the ending thereof, that there fell all the folk of those brethren, and they twain alone stood up on their feet, and yet many more must fare to hell first before their weapons. And now they fell on Gunnar the king, and because of the host of men that set on him was hand laid on him, and he was cast into fetters. Afterwards fought Hergni with the stoutest heart and the greatest manlihood, and he felled to earth twenty of the stoutest of the champions of King Otley, and many he thrust into the fire that burnt amidst the hall and all were of one accord that such a man might scarce be seen. Yet in the end was he borne down by many, and taken. Then said King Otley, A marvellous thing! How many men have gone their ways before him! Cut the heart from out of him, and let that be his bane! Hergni said, Do according to thy will. Merrily will I abide whatso thou wilt do against me and thou shalt see that my heart is not a dread. For hard matters have I made trial of ere now, and all things that may try a man was I fain to bear, whiles yet I was unhurt. But now sorely am I hurt, and thou alone henceforth will bear mastery in our dealings together. 
Then spake a counsellor of King Otley, Better read I see thereto. Take we the thrall, Hyatli, and give respite to Hygni. For this thrall is made to die, since the longer he lives, the less worth shall he be. The thrall hearkened, and cried out aloft, and fled away anywhither where he might hope for shelter, crying out that a hard portion was his because of their strife and wild doings, and an ill day for him whereon he must be dragged to death from his sweet life and his swine-keeping. But they caught him, and turned a knife against him, and he yelled and screamed or ever he felt the point thereof. Then in such wise spake Hergni, as a man seldom speaketh who has fallen into hard need, for he prayed for the thrall's life, and said that these shrieks he could not away with, and that it were a lesser matter to him to play out the play to the end. And therewithal the thrall gat his life, as for that time. But Gunnar and Hogni are both laid in fetters. Then spake King Otley with Gunnar the king, and bade him tell out concerning the gold, and where it was, if he would have his life. But he answered, Nay, first will I behold the bloody heart of Hergni, my brother. So now they caught hold of the thrall again, and cut the heart from out of him, and bore it unto King Gunnar. But he said, The faint heart of Hjatli may ye here behold, little like the proud heart of Hergni. For as much as it trembleth now, more by the half it trembled when as it lay in the breast of him. So now they fell on Hergni, even as Otley urged them, and cut the heart from out of him. But such was the might of his manhood that he laughed while he abode that torment, and all wondered at his worth, and in perpetual memory is it held sithence. Then they showed it to Gunnar, and he said, the mighty heart of Hergni, little like the faint heart of Hjatli, for little as it trembleth now, less it trembled, whenas in his breast it lay. But now, O Otli, even as we die, so shalt thou die. And lo, I alone wot where the gold is, nor shall Hergni be to tell thereof now. To and fro played the matter in my mind, whiles we both lived. But now have I myself determined for myself, and the Rhine River shall rule over the gold, rather than that the Huns shall bear it on the hands of them. Then said King Otley, Have away the bondsman. And so they did. But Guthrun called to her men, and came to Otley, and said, May it fare ill with thee, now and from henceforth, even as thou hast ill-held to thy word with me. So Gunnar was cast into a worm-close, and many worms abode him there, and his hands were fast bound. But Gudrun sent him a harp, and in such wise did he set forth his craft, that wisely he smote the harp, smiting it with his toes, and so excellently well he played that few deemed they had heard such playing even when the hand had done it. And with such might and power he played that all the worms fell asleep in the end, save one adder only, great and evil of aspect, that crept unto him, 
and thrust its sting into him until it smote his heart. And in such wise, with great hardihood, he ended his life days. Chapter 39 Now thought Atli the king that he had gained a mighty victory, and spake to Gudrun even as mocking her greatly, or as making himself great before her. Gudrun, saith he, thus hast thou lost thy brethren, and thy very self hast brought it about. She answers, In good liking livest thou, whereas thou thrustest these slayings before me. But may happen thou wilt rue it when thou hast tried what is to come hereafter, and of all I have, the longest-lived matter shall be the memory of thy cruel heart, nor shall it go well with thee whilst I live. He answered and said, Let there be peace betwixt us. I will atone for thy brethren with gold and dear-bought things, even as thy heart may wish. She answers, Hard for a long while have I been in our dealings together, and now I say that while Hugni was yet alive thou mightest have brought it to pass, but now mayest thou never atone for my brethren in my heart. Yet oft must we women be overborne by the might of you men, and now are all my kindred dead and gone, and thou alone art left to rule over me. Wherefore now this is my counsel that we make a great feast, wherein I will hold the funeral of my brother and of thy kindred withal. In such wise did she make herself soft and kind in words, though far other things forsooth lay thereunder. But he hearkened to her gladly, and trusted in her words, whereas she made herself sweet of speech. So Guthrun held the funeral feast for her brethren, and King Atle for his men, and exceeding proud and great was this feast. But Gudrun forgot not her woe, but brooded over it, how she might work some mighty shame against the king. And, at nightfall, she took to her the sons of King Otley and her as they played about the floor. The younglings waxed heavy of cheer, and asked what she would with them. "'Ask me not,' she said. "'Ye shall die, the twain of you.' Then they answered, Thou mayest do with thy children even as thou wilt, nor shall any hinder thee, but shame there is to thee in the doing of this deed. Yet for all that she cut the throats of them. Then the king asked where his sons were, and Guthrun answered, I will tell thee, and gladden thine heart by the telling. Lo now! Thou didst make a great woe spring up for me in the slaying of my brethren. Now hearken and hear my reed and my deed. Thou hast lost thy sons, and their heads are become beakers on the board here. And thou thyself hast drunken the blood of them blended with wine. And their hearts I took, and roasted them on a spit, and thou hast eaten thereof. King Otley answered, Grim art thou, in that thou hast murdered thy sons, and given me their flesh to eat, and little space passes betwixt ill-deed of thine and ill-deed. Gudrun said, My heart is set on the doing to thee of as great shame as may be. 
Never shall the measure of ill be full to such a king as thou art. The king said, Worser deeds hast thou done than men have to tell of, and great unwisdom is there in such fearful reeds. Most meet art thou to be burned on bale when thou hast first been smitten to death with stones, for in such wise wouldst thou have what thou hast gone a weary way to seek. She answered, Thine own death thou foretellest, but another death is fated for me. And many other words they spake in their wrath. Now Hogni had a son left alive, hight Niflung, and great wrath of heart he bare against King Atli. And he did Gudrun to wit that he would avenge his father, and she took his words well, and they fell to counsel together thereover, and she said it would be great good hap if it might be brought about. So on a night when the king had drunken he gat him to bed, and when he was laid asleep, Thither to him came Guthrun and the son of Hergni. Guthrun took a sword and thrust it through the breast of King Otley, and they both of them set their hands to the deed, both she and the son of Hergni. Then Otley the king awoke with the wound and cried out, No need of binding or salving here. Who art thou who hast done the deed? Guthrun says, Somewhat have I, Guthrun, wrought therein? and somewhat withal the son of Hergni. Otley said, Ill it beseemed to thee to do this, though somewhat of wrong was between us. For thou wert wedded to me by the reed of thy kin, and dower paid I for thee, yea, thirty goodly knights, and seemly maidens, and many men besides. And yet wert thou not content, but if thou shouldest rule over the lands King Butley owned, and thy mother-in-law full oft thou lettest sit a-weeping. Gudrun said, Many false words hast thou spoken, and of naught I account them. Oft indeed was I fell of mood, but much didst thou add thereto. Full oft in this thy house did phrase befall, and kin fought kin, and friend fought friend, and made themselves big one against the other. Better days had I when as I abode with Sigurd, when we slew kings and took their wealth to us, but gave peace to whomso would, and the great men laid themselves under our hands, and might we gave to him of them who would have it. Then I lost him, and a little thing was it that I should bear a widow's name, but the greatest of griefs that I should come to thee, I who had aforetime the noblest of all kings, while for thee Thou never bearest out of the battle aught but the worser lot. King Otley answered, Not true are thy words, nor will this our speech better the lot of either of us, for all is fallen now to naught. But now do to me in seemly wise, and array my dead corpse in noble fashion. Yea, that will I, she says, and let make for thee a goodly grave, and build for thee a worthy abiding place of stone, and wrap thee in fair linen, and care for all that needful is. So therewithal he died, and she did according to her word, and then they cast fire into the hall. And when the folk and men of estate awoke amid that dread and trouble, 
not would they abide the fire, but smote each the other down, and died in such wise. So there Otley the king and all his folk ended their life days. But Guthrun had no will to live longer after this deed so wrought. But nevertheless her ending day was not yet come upon her. Now the Volsungs and the Gukings, as folk tell in tale, have been the greatest-hearted and the mightiest of all men, as ye may well behold written in the songs of old time. But now, with the tidings just told, were these troubles stayed. Chapter 40 Guthrun had a daughter by Sigurd, hight Svanhild. She was the fairest of all women, eager-eyed as her father, so that few durst look under the brows of her, and as far did she excel other womankind as the sun excels the other lights of heaven. But on a day went Guthrun down to the sea, and caught up stones in her arms and went out into the sea, for she had will to end her life. But mighty billows drave her forth along the sea, and by means of their upholding was she borne along till she came at the last to the burg of King Yonaker, a mighty king and lord of many folk. And he took Gudrun to wife. And their children were Hamvir and Surli and Erp. And there was Svanhild nourished withal. Chapter 41 Jörmenrek was the name of a mighty king of those days, and his son was called Randver. Now this king called his son to talk with him, and said, Thou shalt fare on an errand of mine to King Yonaker, with my counsellor, Bicky. For with King Yonaker is nourished Svanhild, the daughter of Sigurd Fafnir's bane, and I know for sure that she is the fairest maid dwelling under the sun of this world. Her, above all others, would I have to my wife, and thou shalt go woo her for me. Randver answered, Meet, and write, fair lord, that I should go on thine errands. So the king set forth this journey in seemly wise, and they fare till they come to King Yonaker's abode, and behold Svanhild, and have many thoughts concerning the treasure of her goodliness. But on a day Randver called the king to talk with him, and said, Jormenrik the king would fain be thy brother-in-law. For he has heard tell of Svanhild, and his desire it is to have her to wife, nor may it be shown that she may be given to any mightier man than he is one. The king says, This is an alliance of great honor, for a man of fame he is. Gudrun says, A wavering trust, the trust in luck, that it change not. Yet, because of the king's furthering, and all the matters that went herewith, is the wooing accomplished. And Svanhild went to the ship with a goodly company, and sat in the stern beside the king's son. Then spake Bicky to Randver, How good and right it were, if thou thyself had to wife so lovely a woman, rather than the old man there. Good seemed that word to the heart of the king's son, and he spake to her with sweet words, and she to him in likewise. So they came a land, and go unto the king, and Bicky said unto him, 
Meet and right it is, Lord, that thou shouldst know what is befallen, though hard it be to tell of. For the tale must be concerning thy beguiling, whereas thy son has gotten to him the full love of Svanhild, nor is she other than his harlot. But thou, let not the deed be unavenged. Now many an ill reed had he given the king or this, but of all his ill reeds did this sting home the most. And still would the king hearken to all his evil reeds. Wherefore he, who might nowise still the wrath within him, cried out that Randver should be taken, and tied up to the gallows-tree. And as he was led to the gallows, he took his hawk, and plucked the feathers from off it, and bade show it to his father. And when the king saw it, then he said, Now may folk behold that he deemeth my honor to be gone away from me, even as the feathers of this hawk and therewith he bade deliver him from the gallows. But in that while had Bicky wrought his will, and Ranver was dead slain. And moreover Bicky spake, Against none hast thou more wrongs to avenge thee of than against Svanhild. Let her die a shameful death. Yea, said the king, we will do after thy counsel. So, she was bound in the gate of the burg, and horses were driven at her to tread her down. But when she opened her eyes wide, then the horses durst not trample her. So when Bicky beheld that, he bade draw a bag over the head of her. And they did so, and therewith she lost her life. Chapter 42 now Guthrun heard of the slaying of Svanhild, and spake to her sons. Why sit ye here in peace amid merry words, whereas Jormenrik hath slain your sister, and trodden her under foot of horses in shameful wise? No heart ye have in you like to Gunnar or Hergni. Verily they would have avenged their kinswoman. Hamthir answered, Little didst thou praise Gunnar and Hogni, whereas they slew Sigurd, and thou wert reddened in the blood of him. And ill were thy brethren avenged by the slaying of thine own sons. Yet not so ill a deed were it for us to slay King Jormenrek, and so hard thou pushest us on to this, that we may not abide thy hard words. Gudrun went about laughing now, and gave them to drink from mighty beakers, and thereafter she got for them great burnies and good, and all other weed of war. Then spake Hamthir, Lo now, this is our last parting, for thou shalt hear tidings of us, and drink one grave ale over us and over Svanhild. So therewith they went their ways. But Gudrun went unto her bower, with hearts swollen with sorrow, and spake, to three men was I wedded, and first to Sigurd Fafnir's bane, and he was bereaved and slain, and of all griefs was that the greatest grief. Then was I given to King Otley, and so fell was my heart toward him that I slew in the fury of my grief his children and mine. Then gave I myself to the sea, but the billows thereof cast me out of land, 
and to this king then was I given. Then gave I Svanhild away out of the land with mighty wealth, and lo, my next greatest sorrow after Sigurd, for under horses' feet was she trodden and slain. But the grimmest and ugliest of woes was the casting of Gunnar into the worm-clothes, and the hardest was the cutting of Hergni's heart from him. Ah, better would it be if Sigurd came to meet me, and I went my ways with him, for here bideth now behind with me neither son nor daughter to comfort me. O oh, mindest thou not, Sigurd, the words we spoke when we went into one bed together, that thou wouldst come and look on me, yea, even from thine abiding place among the dead? And thus had the words of her sorrow an end. Chapter 43 Now telleth the tale concerning the sons of Gudrun, that she had arrayed their war raiment in such wise that no steel would bite thereon, and she bade them play not with stones or other heavy matters, for that it would be to their scathe if they did so. And now, as they went on their way, they met Erp, their brother, and asked him in what wise he would help them. He answered, Even as hand helps hand, or foot helps foot. But that they deemed not at all, and slew him there and then. Then they went their ways. Nor was it long or ever Hamdir stumbled, and thrust down his hand to steady himself, and spake therewith. Not but a true thing spake Erp, for now should I have fallen, had not hand been to steady me. A little after Surly stumbled, but turned about on his feet, and so stood, and spake. Yea, now had I fallen, but that I steadied myself with both feet. And they said they had done evilly with Erp, their brother. But on they fare till they come to the abode of King Jarmanrek. And they went up to him, and set on him forthwith. And Hamthir cut both hands from him, and Surly both feet. Then spake Hamthir, Off were the head if Erp were alive, our brother whom we slew on the way, and found out our deed too late. Even as the song says, Off were the head if Erp were alive yet, our brother the bold whom we slew by the way, the well-famed in warfare. Now, in this must they turn away from the words of their mother, whereas they had to deal with stones. For now men fell on them, and they defended themselves in good and manly wise, and with scathe of many a man, nor would iron bite on them. But there came thereto a certain man, old of aspect, and one-eyed, and he spake, No wise men are ye, whereas ye cannot bring these men to their end. Then the king said, Give us reed thereto, if thou canst. He said, Fer skuluth berja thou groti i hel. Smite them to the death with stones. In such wise was it done, for the stones flew thick and fast from every side, and that was the end of their life days. And now has come to an end the whole root and stem of the Gukings.
Now may all earls be bettered in mind. May the grief of all maidens ever be minished for this tale of trouble so told to its ending. Yerlum Erlum, Othal Batni, Snotrum Erlum, Sorg ad Minni, ad Theta Tregrof, Ov Talit Vairi. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Seth. Hi, I'm Mr. Jim Moon. And we're going to talk about uh, Volsunga Saga, which is a uh, approximately 1000 AD anonymous saga poem thingy. <laughs> what, what is it exactly? Seth, this was your idea. I, oh, I, boy. Yeah. I need to explain <laughs> what this is. Well, sort of like Beowulf, it's a collection of old Germanic myths that were taken from various sources, poems, and mostly poems, and compiled by a saga editor. I think the William Morris translation calls it the Saga Man or the the Volsung Saga Man, which sounds great. <laughs> but um, so um, the Volsungs are are a family. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. A family lineage. Right. It's a, a dynasty. A dynasty. A That's dynasty. a good way of looking at it. Yeah. Mm. Not, like okay. duck, not like Duck Dynasty, though. <laughs> <laughs> that is really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I've already derailed the podcast. Yes. We're going to cut that out. I'm sorry to tell you. We're going to cut that out. <laughs> what? I, I want no references to that in my universe. <laughs> um, okay, so the... the it's like reading an IKEA catalog is my, <laughs> my problem with it. It's very hard to keep track of all the characters uh, because they're very similarly named and um, and they change quite rapidly. And and um, so like it starts off. There's these two guys. You know what? I, I need someone else to explain it because I, I can <laughs> sort of. I'm thinking it is like I think you said Seth. It's kind of like the Bible. Yeah. It's. Mm. It's got a whole lot of characters. Most of them are doing things for no explained reason, mm-hmm. but they do stuff, and then there's consequences. But the consequences aren't necessarily logical. Um, so what, what is there a through thread that we can identify, Mister Jim Moon? Can you identify a through thread? All these stories. Um, well, really, I mean, um, the actual bulk of the tales do concern um, the great hero Sigurd. Um, also known as Siegfried in um, later sort of Germanic and Teutonic mm-hmm. myths. Uh, and he really has the lion's share. And it's kind of, it, I think it's pretty much over half, half the saga is, is Sigurd and his doings, mm-hmm. at least. That shows and up he's, about uh, a third of the way in? Or yeah. Um, and it's kind of bookended by kind of a little bit about his descendants and a little bit about his forebears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so it's, it's 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 kind of you can you can I can definitely see how this is being sort of assembled from by you know by somebody from earlier sources and it's kind of um it sort of does start, there's a lot of kind of I sort of find of knowing a bit of Norse myths is like echoes and almost rewrites of the Norse myths of the gods but done into the world of men and uh, um yeah I mean really I, I think it, it is sort of it's, it's much like to draw a modern parody. It's like I Claudius, which is a similar tale of the you know the the uh, sort of the rise and fall of a family, right? Mm. Um, but there's obviously 
kind of I like you like Claudius, we have like Claudius and Nero and Caligula are sort of the main big players everyone knows. Right. In this it's the hero Sigard and uh he's great love or not perhaps not so great love, uh Brunhilde. <laughs> um, <laughs> She's a shield maiden sort of lady. Um, did did you get a Sleeping Beauty vibe from her at the beginning uh, there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's so much in this that you feel later find turns up in all manner of sure. folk tales, all manner of grim fairy tales, and also Tolkien, of course, yeah. right? So, uh, yeah. And, and C.S. Lewis. Um, oh, okay. Remember, actually, uh, uh, Fafnir was originally um, a man, or man-shaped. Right, right. Or is it dwarf-shaped? It's a bit unclear. Um, but he then, you know, it's through his avarice, he, uh, he turns into a dragon, which mm-hmm. is paralleled in uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, oh. where Eustace dons um, an armlet from a dragon's treasure and turns into a dragon himself. Mm-hmm. I forgot so there's this, this kind of, this whole sort, I mean, this is what I found most fascinating you know, kind of about it, is this... There's all these sort of future echoes totally. you see of kind of all kinds of folklore, fairy stories, and fantasy. Yeah. But then also there's lots of echoes of kind of older myths of um of the you know of the Norse gods as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's quite quite curious. It's just sat in the middle, kind of on the borderland between uh, <laughs> I don't know, kind of literature and history and mythology. Yeah, yeah, it's a big melange of stuff. And I think the other through line, of course, is the. Um, is the gold the otter's gold and um, and the the ruin that it wreaks on anyone with the dubious fortune of owning it? <laughs> you know that the, the the Hobbit is is seems to be like he just finished reading this and then he says I'm, Tolkien says I'm gonna write I'm gonna write something. <laughs> it's like <laughs> wow, it's all right in there, right? I mean. Yeah, Fafnir is Smaug in so many ways. Yeah, of course, there's also a dragon in Beowulf. In fact, the whole scene with Bilbo stealing the cup from Smaug's lair is basically ripped right out of Beowulf. But, but there's the is, ring is in here, right? The, the yeah. magic ring. I mean, all this stuff is connected, though. I mean, Beowulf is essentially pulling from the same Germanic uh, word horde, I guess, or whatever you want to call it as, as this. So you know, it is all connected. It, it, I, f- I found it very difficult to get into uh, the yeah. the name switching. I mean, the events that happen are incredibly dramatic. So every once in a while, like you know, and this guy begat that guy, um, and 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 he didn't like his thrall. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, that bondswoman uh, and all the bondswomen cried. Right? You know, it's like. Yeah. Um, the, the, the parts that aren't like, but then all of a sudden, you know, somebody's eating someone else. Yeah. Turning into a werewolf. Sigmund's biting the tongue out of a wolf that's licking honey out of his mouth. Yeah. It's, <laughs> right. it's, yeah. it's very like, like the Bible in that way. Cause the Bible, like the book of judges, like you have, like you said, all these so-and-so we got so-and-so and then you have this amazing Samson story and then you go back to, <laughs> well, so yeah, it's, it's very similar to that. A lot of wolves actually going throughout the entire uh, saga, right? It, it yeah. starts with wolves. Uh, people turn into werewolves. Um, then at the end, uh, there's like you know these blades with blood indicate wolves, and wolves come to the to the house or the hall, I guess it is. Yeah, it's like Jesus, it, it is. It, it's like a, something preying on their minds is uh, wolves. Well, the wolves were big in kind of Norse and Germanic culture. I mean, your wolf is, you know, one of the animals sacred to Odin, yeah. um, the raven. And Odin appears. I've lost count how many times he oh turns Oh, my God, up. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, He's there all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Showing up at every yeah. 
dramatic. Basically, basically every old man with a stick who's a bit <laughs> blind or wearing a hat. It's Odin, yeah. guys. Yeah. <laughs> Every and then, time. And his raven turns up at one point, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. I mean, I think one of Odin's episodes is Wolf Father. So. Yeah. There's that beautiful scene uh, where Odin takes away one of, the, uh, one of the fallen heroes in a boat. And I thought that was one of the kind of more poetic. Yeah, uh, it was very moments. Arthurian, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. Um, it, it was also, you know, crossing the river Styx, and I, I was most intrigued by the the connections, and they are there to the Greeks. You know, like they even say, "Well, these guys went and fought the Greeks, right?" And then there's so many other like sort of thematic connections. I think to, um, well, not thematic, I guess, um, structural style connections to the Homeric epics. Yeah, because it's it's this is. You know, Mr. Jimun, you were saying it was like a reworking of their myths. I think this is their myths, isn't it? Well, no, you've got to remember there's a whole myth, myth cycle sort of before this. You find in like the poetic Edda and uh, the Elder Edda, which are all the tales of the gods. Um, but a lot of these are similar, like, you know, shape-shifting to, you know, um, having a way with someone you're not supposed to be having it away with, uh, to, st- to stitch each other <laughs> up something rotten, um, people having kids who actually turn into dragons and you know that's right. loki one of loki's son is is uh you know is the midgard serpent which is another lindworm like fafnir mm-hmm. um even in the, the actual um some of the, the the language used is kind of um uh when brunhilde uh tells her sigur about all her rune law that's very similar um to uh, something called the lay of odin mm-hmm. it's, i think it's in a cycle the lay of grimnir where you know odin um explains you know the meaning of the runes and um you know how you, this rune to bind that that rune to bind this learn this learn that learn the spunk tongues of animals and neil gaiman quotes that call. almost verbatim in american gods too yes yes indeed uh, but there's also other things like kind of um odin uh killing mimir the giant and uh, uh boiling his head and drinking his blood <laughs> to gain gain knowledge of the uh, magical that. knowledge it's like you know the dragon's blood and uh eating fafnir's heart yeah uh so it's, it's kind of this is this is kind of it's very much kind of the, the, the cycle of the stories of the gods, which you know occurred in Asgard and Midgard and Jotunheim, and then this is kind of it's you know these are the sons of the gods, and the same events play out again on Earth, and that's kind of that's a very Norse uh, sort of Germanic idea, this idea that time was cyclic and um, you know unusually kind of you know uh, for a for a myth cycle, the gods all die in the Norse myths. Yeah. <laughs> You know, they die and a world is reborn, which is the world of men. And, you know, I think from what I've read of, uh, you know, no one's quite sure whether Norsemen believe whether Ragnarok was to come mm-hmm. or Ragnarok had already happened. But, you know, it's maybe a moot point because there's so much that is cyclic. It was kind of actually going to happen again anyway. Mm-hmm. And the problem yeah, is um, we don't have very much from before the, the Norse weren't literate in the way that we think of. And so the writing down of this stuff doesn't happen until conversion to christianity and so everything is is mingled with this doubt of whether you know christian doctrine or theology is somehow mm. even with the most careful i mean they obviously didn't have the I don't see a lot academic of standards of what we have it. yeah see a lot of uh, i mean this one seems a lot more untouched than uh i, I would have expected because i mean i would, have you guys been watching the show vikings the it's one of the, I think, History Channel shows. Yeah, I have not. I, I should have been maybe to prepare. Uh, I've, got it, I've got it banked up somewhere. <laughs> well, uh, it's a very powerful show. Um, mm. And 
it's it's got uh you know they're raiding England and so the English are Christian uh, I mean it's it's actually the the subsequent saga is Ragnar Lodbrok rather than um any of these guys but it's it's you know semi historical semi uh saga mm-hmm. sort of storytelling but um in there and in this I find the morality to be, I mean, it's, it's like old Testament. It's really like the, you know, if, if you look at the, um, the Iliad and you say, what's going on here, what moral lessons are they teaching? Basically it's don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that, but be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Be really awesome. And that's very uh, much in here as well. You know, if, if, there's so many kings, and they're all the best king, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it seems like there's an unconsciousness of the fact that you just said a minute ago he was the greatest of all kings. And then, like, a line later, it's like, and there was a great king, and he was pretty damn great. And then two two more chapters later, we've got another guy who's the greatest of all kings <laughs> ever. <laughs> and he was so great. And it's like, what? What exactly is making him great? Is he powerful? It's not. It's not exactly clear. But when we do see them do actions, they're fucking totally immoral. Like, yeah. <laughs> really evil. Breaking their words, um, you know, acting totally unjustly, and and that's why I was thinking, you know, it's it's like the Old Testament in that right at the beginning, there's a murder, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's between the uh, bondsman and uh, his master. The master and the bondsman go hunting, or I guess he's called a thrall, go hunting, and uh, they come back, they're comparing prizes, and the 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 thrall's been murdered. Yeah. He's, he gets murdered because he, he brought back too big a prize. Like, that Cain, Cain and Abel. jealousy. Yeah. yeah, it's Cain and Abel, totally, right? It's also because he attempted to hide the body. It was a duplicitous act. He didn't just say, I, don't, I didn't like this guy. I had a fight and killed him. That would have been fine. Right, it's a throne. <laughs> it's a- <laughs> yeah. It, it was like the shame. Like, like it's almost like um, you're allowed to do anything as long as you're right. But if you're sort of minor and petty, oh, man, you're in trouble. Yeah. Um, and so, like in in the Odyssey, my my understanding of like what that book's about, it's all about how to deal with your neighbors, and basically, it's you know you offer them uh, hospitality, they offer you hospitality, uh, and you don't overstay your welcome. Yeah, yeah for ten. You know, years, don't yeah. steal from your your um, your landlord. Don't yeah. steal, you know? It it seems like a, almost a morality we sort of understand today. But here I'm uh, really trying to find these. Uh, there was one line quite near near the end, about three three quarters or uh, four fifths through, and it was saying about um, and he had to go to the wars. Um, some king, he had to go to the wars. <laughs> a great I, king. It's like, yeah, a great king. Wars, and the reason it was just one line thrown out. It was so that there wouldn't be domestic strife. <laughs> and I was like, that's it, right? The Vikings have to mm, get together yeah. and let's go attack those guys because, you know, there's so many poor people in your kingdom. They're all, they're all going to be jealous of your 
your strength and power that you're wield, wielding very badly. We got to go attack the neighbors. Well, there are a lot of theories for for why um, the Viking um, Viking incursions started in around the ninth century, and that's I mean, they're all kind of similar. One of them is Harold Fairhaired kind of united Norway, and so all this tribal tribal um, strife that had been going on didn't have an outlet anymore. And so they started to go overseas. Part of it, which I think dovetails into that a little bit, is you know conjectured overpopulation, you know, by improved agriculture and all that sort of thing. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's kind of like medieval Japan in that respect. They're they're fighting each other. They're fighting each other. They're fighting each other. Yeah. Now, now, guess what? Neighbors. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot to that. It was around you know when they started raiding. It was also the time they were settling Greenland and Iceland. Mm-hmm. And- I was just like, you know, I know the Vikings, you know, arguably do have a, a bad rap because the history was written by the people they pillaged. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah but, but you know, it's kind of it does seem to be this kind of yes, there was there was pillaging going on, but there's an awful lot of like you know, settling and mingling as yeah. well. Huh. Um, yeah, the Normans particularly. You know, so the, the, well, exactly uh, the Russians as well. You know, mm-hmm. Russians from yeah. Red, the Red Men, the Norsemen. Again, the Vikings settled <laughs> Russia. They got everywhere. Yeah, um, they, they got down to Greece. Uh, in in this, it's mentioned they go to Greece, mm-hmm. but uh, you know the Varingian Guard, right? In Byzantium, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, mm-hmm. They're still around. They're they're kicking ass uh, all over Europe and even North America. Yeah, this is uh, it's crazy how powerful they are for uh, people who you know don't have a written language. Uh, they do, but it's so you know it's it's primitive and yeah. It's it's a it's pretty amazing. You mentioned the uh, Greek uh, Greek uh, comparisons, and I was thinking about that too. And the big one for me that came up was attitudes toward prophecy and fate. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the fates and the Norns are really the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah and mm. I mean, early on, Sigurd goes to goes to some guy, and I can't remember his name, probably Regan or Sig something, <laughs> and and. Um, <laughs> It, the 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 story says that he asks the guy. This guy is like far seeing, and he asks the guy, tell him his story, and the guy tells him his story. And Sigurd goes off, and he's like, okay, and that's it. Like if this had been a Greek um, or Roman thing, you would have had an Oedipus thing where you'd be like, oh, I don't mm-hmm. want to have my wife die. I'm going to go try to avoid this. Or you would have had Calpurnia sort of thing in uh, Julius mm-hmm. Caesar, you know, warning of the portents of the Ides of March. And the, there's none of that. There's a very and, no, it's uh, not very sophisticated. Well, They're really not sophisticated thinkers, is my thinking. I don't know. I mean, there's also the way that Tolkien argues it, and uh, I've read some Tolkien scholarship, is it's this very um, northern northern brand of stoicism and um, acceptance. Uh, yeah. It's, it's kind of... That's, that's, that's the, the, the polite way of doing it. But, <laughs> uh, like, uh, when, when the first time we see Odin in the story, I'm like, they don't say it's Odin, right? It's we know it's Odin, and I was thinking this is the part in the story where you know the 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 bard comes into the the hall. They're all feasting because that mm-hmm. that's what happens in every chapter. Also, mm. it's feasting, right? Solve everything by feasting. So they go in and they feast, and what do they do? They listen to the story, and then this part comes up, and all the kids go, "It's Odin." <laughs> <laughs> And then the next time Odin appears, they all say, It's Odin! Right? It's like, it's it's very not sophisticated because, you know, the reason they're not naming him is because it's, for, uh, my thinking, is it's for exactly that reason. 
right? It's, it's well, I think it's, it's, it's for all the, the the whole family. Well, I think it is like kind of like you know we know we're no one's fooled when you have you know um, a Count Olo card or a Doctor Acula turn up in a horror right, movie. Right, right, right. You go, ah, yes, you know, we know the cues. And similarly, you know, oh, old blind, old one-eyed man in a hat turns up. I wonder <laughs> who this could be. Ah. You know, I thought it's, uh... it was uh, Merlin <laughs> myself. <laughs> I was like, that guy sticking a sword in a tree and saying whoever can get yeah. this thing. That's that's Merlin, right? That's a, well. There's, there's there's a lot of elements of, of Odin mythology in in the Merlin myth. Yeah, I didn't realize there's that. Like, there's like well, overlap. Almost, a, he is almost a god, isn't he? Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, but there, I think there's so many. Going back to the Greek thing, there's similarities in the fact that you know it's kind of um, you know Odin is one of three brothers who overthrows a giant and they sure. become the gods, same yeah. as the Zeus did, and. Uh, but I think the, the different the difference kind of is is kind of um, so you wrote classical mythology. They had an idea of once you were dead, you were dead. You know that was it. <laughs> it was game over. And if you had a terrible fate coming, you did your best to avoid it. Whereas in Northern Europe, in the, from what we know of the Celts, and I, I mean this is mainly going by was recorded by Roman writers, but the uh, you know the Northern pagans had a, had more of a belief this of a cyclic universe of that they would be reborn, and this is what made the Vikings and the Celts and uh, the Picts ferocious warriors, according to the classical writers. Was is they didn't fear death; mm. they were indifferent to their lives because they knew they'd just be, just be reborn again. It was you know it was well that's the way it went this time. Tough, mm-hmm. um, but there is kind of a. There is a, there's a bit of trying to not cheat fate, but trying to forge your own destiny. Yeah. Um, then they are fatalistic, but they still have a concept of free will because in like in this, there's several times where you know someone seeks to avoid their bane, mm-hmm. i.e., mm-hmm. you know, committing an act or doing something. Which once they cross that line, it's a, it's game over. They are doomed. But if you don't cross that line, maybe dance around it a bit, you know, kind of like kind of. Well, you know, I'm 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 sworn to an oath of brotherhood. I cannot harm this man, mm. but my but my cousin isn't. I'll get him killed. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, there's that scene and there isn't sort of morality, but there is. It's more like rules. You yeah. know, what I mean? it's kind of, there are rules. You play within the rules. You play a fair game. They're guidelines. But, you know, you can bend them to a bit. They're, they're general guidelines. <laughs> Mm. Uh, one thing that you know of all the, I don't, I don't remember a lot of rape. Although I assume that there was lots of it, and they just didn't. It was not interesting enough to mention because uh, the the there was a lot of bonds women. You know the slaving that's going on. Yeah, it, it's not it's not just the occasional you know hunter that they capture. It's mostly it sounds like women. Well, uh, the thing is, you got to remember in in, in the North society, women. Uh, weren't considered inferiors; they were equals. That's, but not if you're a bonds person, right? Like if you're a oh no, it's a two tier society. But it right. was, but it's for you know. In this, I mean, we have an awful, an awful lot of strong women. I mean, you know, yeah, you've got a mother who is so tough; she sews gloves to her kids' hands to see if they're hard enough. Right, and, <laughs> and then she says, "Kill them; they're not hard enough." Yeah, <laughs> they are weak. Do the way with them. And the number that kill their kill their own children just to spite somebody else is quite yeah, horrific. Man, yeah, that that is that is some it's, real biblical stuff there, right? It's also that um, was, it's also really media, extreme. Though. Yeah, mm. I, it's very extreme. I, I mean, it's 
it, it, it tells me, you know, like you're saying they're considered equal, and I think that they can be considered equal. I mean, Brunhild is powerful, but even so, she's still she's still in that tower sewing, even though she's supposed to be a shield maiden, right? Yeah, and I think that conflict mm-hmm. of expectations is what creates a lot of the drama in this in this whole thing. You you may be right. Uh, the, there's a there's something to the um that that's uh, that story. It's like uh, we're gonna marry each other. Let's promise, 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 and then for some reason they separate. And then you know the the dramatic events with the forgetting potions and yeah the pretty girls <laughs> <laughs> they all ensue. But like, why did they separate? Not exactly clear. Yeah, that, that was lost on me too. So well, it, well, it was not it was not written that he would marry Brunhilde. So tough, bye. No. <laughs> I'll sling your hook. Even though he's actually done the Prince Charming thing and yeah. awoken her, oh. mm-hmm. rescued her, got to the tower. Not exactly how. Kind of, no, you know, I'm sorry, it's not to be. <laughs> so, them's the way the runes fall, Sonny, on your back. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, Mr. Jim Moon, you did a, a whole show uh, or a couple of shows on werewolves, and I was thinking about all the werewolves that show. I mean, th- yeah. they're peppered throughout here. Uh, did you? I don't remember you talking about. Uh, I mean, we know that they came sort of. It's there isn't one literature source for it, right? But I think the Romans had werewolves as well, right? So this oh yes, but. Only- it's a- it's kind of you've got to draw a line, you see, uh, between kind of what we understand as werewolves and things you get like this in mythology and in Roman mythology, which people go, "Oh, they're werewolves," and it's kind of actually they're not; they're people shapeshifting. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's um, which is which is d- very different. I mean, it's kind of in the Norse mythology. I mean, it was said the berserkers, um, you know, took potions to shapeshift into bears and wolves to do their fighting, and mm-hmm. you know, it's much debated how much that is. Um, uh, kind of were they you know, an animalistic totem cult and they just donned wolf skins or did they mean they're really magically changed or was it just you know the ancient writers being poetic and right. they, they fought like wolves with the yeah. savagery of bears well so. here here this the first transformation of the two is it the father and the son is that who who's together they go yeah i think at the earlier part of the saga you're kind of nearer the time of the gods yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's it, they are talking a lot about are possible yeah, and they're talking a lot about the, about you know so and so can remember the time of the first men and who was the first men and mm-hmm. and it's kind of you get this strange thing of kind of you know actually it's not state but Reagan is and his family they are dwarves yeah. right what we call dwarves and you know the one who gets killed has changed shape into a notter and it's kind of, <laughs> you know people just casually just shape shift when they feel like it yeah there's nothing, there's nothing <laughs> or they can, or they can't stop it right like mm-hmm. with the 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 two. I think it's a father and the son. They go. They say, "Well, let's go out and yeah." I think it's the the son that survives. They're living in an underground house. Yeah, <laughs> another Tolkien connection, right? They're living in an underground house, and oh, and this is the child that was formed by uh, incest. Incest. So that's yeah. the other thing that we didn't yeah, mention. Yeah. Sinfjotli, it's yeah. secret incest. Uh, very Game of Thronesy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> they get together. <laughs> they get together and then they say, "Let's go a raiding." And they go out into the countryside and just kill people and slew men for their wealth. Right, slew men for <laughs> charming, for, charming father and son. Yes. highway yeah. robbers. Yeah, yeah. And then one, I, I, 
I think the thing with that, I think this is a, met- a metaphor. Um, sure. Considering when this was probably put together, it's probably drawing on um, the wolf's head laws, um, where, you know, kind of, it was completely legal to kill wolves. And um, if you were deemed an outlaw in uh, mm. Saxon society, um, you were literally cast out. And part of that cast out, you had no rights. Right. And hence, out- outlaws were wolf's heads because right. you could kill them with the same degree of morality as you would slay a wolf. Right. They were considered, outside of society, not human anymore, rab- rabid animals. And, you know, you were, if someone wanted to attack you, you could kill it, or you could go and hunt them down, and it wouldn't be murder. They, they were huh. no better than wolves. They had the same rights as wolves, i.e. none. And so when you've got the, um, this for the father and son, who, you know, to toughen up his son and sharpen his uh, bloodlust, let's go to the forest and slay men for their wealth. And it says they turn into wolves. This is what I think this is what it's referring to that they Absolutely. became outlaws rather than they actually you know, literally um, well, turned it, into wolves the, for a the while. Scene where and they, played werewolf. The scene where they they come across, uh, the, the, you know, they're they're doing this manslaying for their wealth, right? And then they find two men sleeping in a house under. Uh, under wolves' skins, right? Mm-hmm. They slay mm-hmm. the men. And take the wolf skins, and then, uh, like you're saying, it's metaphorical. But I, I like that they also they turn on each other, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is totally in keeping with the idea, you know, alpha among alpha. outlaws. Yeah. There's no laws. Yeah. Mm. Um, but these are the heroes, right? These are the <laughs> yeah, right. I know there's a whole um, weird so, bit with the uh, eagle and the and the weasel, the the weasels like um, laying the herb one on the other to heal, so they attack each other, and then. He immediately heals him afterwards. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, going back to I, Claudius, as you put it, you know, uh, when, um, who's this, who's the follower to Claudius in, uh, uh, following Tiberius, who's the emperor? Caligula. Uh, Caligula, right? So when Caligula is explaining, uh, why it's okay for him to sleep with his sister, um, and why it's okay for him to cut out the, <laughs> The body, you know, the body of the child that's within her. Um, uh, it, she, he says, you know, oh, Jupiter did it all the time. <laughs> and remember, I am descended from a god, and no, I am a god, right? So the the morality of of uh, the Romans ain't much better. I mean, it is basically I got the power, so I'm in, I, I make the rules. Yeah. Um, mm. But it, I mean, it's uh, as a non Christian myself. It's striking to me how much I prefer the Christian morality uh, <laughs> yes. to the basically horrible actions of these power mad m- monsters. The problem, I mean, the problem is Christian. Is that yeah. why there was this conversion? Do you think it, you know? Did people just like, oh yeah, let's take this. This yeah. sounds a lot better. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the problem is Christian morality makes for pretty boring stories. Um, you want to compare storytelling in the Old versus New Testament? I mean, I don't know. Um, yeah, well, I, I think I think you're right. But the the central story of the of the New Testament, I mean, it, it, it's it's inverting yeah. it's inverting the all like so you can imagine you know the the Christian priest sitting around the fire in the hall. He's just heard one of these epics, and he says, "Well, I got a story for you. Right? Yeah, I'll tell you about Jesus." And and the, all the Vikings are looking at each other and going. Ah, this this guy sounds like a fucking pussy, right? <laughs> he's not gonna go. He's not gonna go up to uh, 
Valhalla, right? This guy sucks. But well, no, no, this is where it's interesting. There is this period where there was this strange fusion of yeah. Norse religion sure. and Christianity in the British Isles. Yeah. Because um, Odin hung himself on a tree for three days right. and three nights to gain the runes. Like, and you also yeah. have um, the story of Balder, the, uh, who, who isn't a tough god at all. He, ju- he just looks good. <laughs> yeah. And everything loves him. That's all he does. Yep. I mean, you know, he's, he, you know, he's not... You, um, and then he, he, but he dies and is brought back, and so you know people could, the, the Norsemen could sort of identify Christ and understand that, because as well as you've got the, the the power in the stories, you have you know in these old pagan tales you have the power of sacrifice, yeah, right, and that's what tied it together, and um, you know, so you know our God died on a tree, so did yours, to you know to bring us right. knowledge and redemption. All right, and. Well, uh, <laughs> Famously, but, there but also those... with that original sin idea, right? Like, like for example, yeah, I, I I think original sin makes no sense. But then I'm thinking, you know, imagine you just found out your mom and dad were brother and sister. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing yeah. really you did wrong, it's but you're still better. fucked anyways. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, as Arthur as Arthur German discovered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Grandma was a was a was a mutant hybrid unknown ape from Africa. <laughs> Well, there are those famous, um, those famous amulets from um, archaeology where they, they have um, the cross on one side and uh, Thor's hammer on the other side. So there are a lot of people mm. hedging their bets yeah, in this, this early period. <laughs> well, they don't uh, – in the same way that the Greeks, you know, they, their connection – I mean, they basically were the ones who spread this Christianity and made it, made it a big thing, right? Um, they – their – uh, fan fiction, which is what the New Testament is, right? <laughs> of of Jesus is pretty um, is pretty crazy. But when you you take a couple of the stories together, you say, "Well, oh, isn't this isn't this nice?" But it's totally subverting, right? It's it's saying we're not the we're not the power. We're not going to go out into the countryside and slay men, and that makes us great. What makes us great is by being morally superior, right? By you know all the martyrs, right? Those are the saints, not the people who go out and kill all those uh, yeah. weak people. It's the mm. people who who go out and um, you know hold the community the together. Yeah, mm. stand up for the principles. Blah blah blah. <clears throat> I mean, it, it goes it goes also to um, uh, this slave morality, uh, uh, master morality thing that that Nietzsche was trying to talk about. It, it's very hard to explain to Christians, oh, and I had to explain it, is saying like the master morality is what the Romans had. They just did whatever the fuck they wanted and they said this, these are the rules, we made them. And they have a bunch of customs that help them do this, right? You know, you bring in people who submit, right? You allow them the benefits of being a Roman citizen, blah, blah, blah. But, but the main thing is we get to make the rules because we have power, Right. Whereas the Christian thing is, no, we have power because we have God on our side. Um, not might makes right, but, um, you know, we get to get into heaven because we were uh, following God's rules. Mm-hmm. And the God's rules are uh, these nice things like, you know, turn the other cheek and um, love your enemy and the meek shall inherit the earth and stuff like that. Render under Caesar, Which, yeah. Right. And so mm-hmm. those are those are like that's the morality for the thralls, right? Because yeah. they're seeing all these great kings. Where, what's their part in this story? They don't have, they don't, all they get, 
<laughs> he is slain and thrown in a in a snowdrift, right? right. <laughs> don't get a lot of benefits out of this system. It, it, I found it very fascinating thing about the connections, uh, which is part of maybe why I had difficulty with the story. I was thinking about, you know, some powerful scene would come up, and I'm wow, this is really uh, this is a very powerful image. What 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 do you think is going through the people's minds when they're listening to this in those olden days? Well, I suppose I do wonder whether was this ever sort of told in one go kind of thing, <laughs> or or is it kind of lots Maybe of little stories sort of that's been so scattered and then stitched together, and um, you know someone sort of you know got their. Uh, you know, kind of continuity police hat on. Yeah. So no, we've got all these stories about the Volsungs, um, and right here's this is the timeline. Well, in Iceland, you know, that's not canon. This is. They tried to do that in Iceland in the 13th century, mm. which I think is when a lot of this was being compiled. But yeah, the mm. early stuff, you know, is alliterative verse like Beowulf, um, similar, you know, similar language, similar meter, and also like Beowulf, bears a lot of marks of oral transmission and. And so, yeah, I think it's it's safe to assume that a lot of this was maybe not all in one go, but uh, piecemeal was told by Fireside in Mead Halls. It, they don't have TV. They don't have video games. Yeah. They don't have Twitter. What are they doing for fun? I mean, they can't even read, right? Um, right. Sewing gloves to their kids, incest, <laughs> um, <Yeah>. drinking blood. <laughs> incest is the best. Uh, I have a feeling most of those things are not actually happening all the time. No, no. Uh, because that's, <laughs> what makes, that, that's what makes it dramatic, right? I mean, mm. is that it's not something that happens to you every day. So uh, having these great kings go on, going out and slay uh, dragons, um, that's, that's cool. Uh, because there are no dragons in real life, but there's that guy down the street who's kind of an asshole, and you might want to slay him. <laughs> well, there's an interesting shift because the, 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 the earlier in the saga, the more fantastical and, and indeed actually the more brutal it is. Yeah, and uh, brutal. The, the, the latter yeah. half, it sort of it calms down a bit. It's just down to everyday backstabbing. Yes, and, <laughs> and, and, rather than and absolute atrocity, serving your own children to uh, people to eat. <laughs> Well, that's that's that's, that's it's got a Greek parallel as well. I seem to remember. I mean, Atli is essentially Attila or Attila, as as people call. Mm. I mean, mm. that whole thing is interesting. I mean, Attila means in Gothic "little father," and Tolkien, you know, pointed to that as is actually a dramatic name given to him. So, I I find the I mean that if you want to look for a time frame when this was actually set, you know that that would be that would be it. You know, fifth century. Um, so it's it's interesting how they you know incorporate history in a very very vague <laughs> incorrect way. I find <laughs> it interesting though that um, you know, Attila is killed in his sleep, and I, I think from records that we have, he was he died of a, a hemorrhage, uh, a brain <laughs> hemorrhage, uh, in his sleep after a night of feasting. So I find it interesting. I don't know whether you know the saga compiler or or, or the myth makers had access to that original story, but I, I just find that whole transmission of, of that knowledge fascinating. I find quite interesting, you know, you get to the end, oh, oh, it's Attila the Hun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and, and he's only got really a supporting role, <laughs> you know, because yeah. he's often invoked along with Genghis Khan as this kind mm-hmm. of, um, you know, sort of Dark Ages scourge, yeah. of this, you know, 
huge you know, leader of battles and slayer of thousands. And, you know, he just annoys some women, the wrong women and gets done over. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. I mean, this is essentially this is He's he's a Germanic lord in this. He's not you know. There's no mm. Hunnic ethnicity ascribed mm. to him at all, except for you know the name. I mean, they mentioned that he's the Hun, but other than that, he's you know, he does the whole Weregeld thing. He does you know trading, tempting um, the Gukings with gold and all the same stuff that the Germanic kings do. Mm. Uh, you guys probably aren't too familiar with it, but um, the native people around here, uh, there's a group. Um, where I'm, I'm in British Columbia, which is northwest corner of North America, just under Alaska. And the native people around here there were subject to raids by a, another native group who were on a pair of islands up the coast called Haida Gwaii. And those people basically they they sound a lot like Vikings. I when, when I think of the way Vikings act and the way natives of the of you know, pre-Vancouver, uh, pre-Cook uh, uh, were around here. It, it sounded like basically it was the exact same thing. They do ratings every year. They take women. Um, they take stuff. Then they'd leave. Mm-hmm. Come in. They'd mate, settle. And then, you know, they become part of the neighborhood. And then they get subject to raids, right? It was, it was very similar. Uh, but the main thing that was different is that there, as far as we know, there's no written language. There are lots of uh, pictograms, uh, you know, almost like runes, but not actually written language. And there's no gold. And these guys, I mean, if there is a through theme in Volsung Saga, right? It's, it's gold makes you, it, gold makes you crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because that ring, that magic ring is not a ring that turns you invisible. It's a ring that makes gold. Yeah. It's, it's the gift that keeps taking away. Exactly. <laughs> I thought of it. <laughs> that this obsession with gold um, is kind of, I mean, it's what makes these guys go on those raids, right? Is they, let's get some gold. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the thrill of battle, that's great and everything, but we're really here for the gold. Mm-hmm. And so if they're, if, you know, they can get away without fighting, right, they'll do it. They'll they'll take your gold, and so <laughs> when somebody kills you or kills some member of your family, the the law is, right? You 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 fill a sack full of gold that is the size of that person, mm-hmm. and it, yep. then you're 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 clear. I mean, this is uh, <laughs> this is this obsession with gold is is um is something that makes it different from other other um cultures it seems yeah and and the the uh, lord of the lord of the rings doesn't have it in in the the way that the hobbit does i mean if you think of what the the dwarves are doing i guess the lord of the rings has it with uh with um when they go in to look at Jurin's folk you know yeah, in, yeah. What's well, the dwarves are i mean so there's this um old norse poem called voluspa which is kind of the creation story and the destruction within that there's this other section that they that's called Dvergatal, which is essentially the tale of the dwarves. And within that, it's basically just a list of names of all these dwarves. Tolkien just ripped that list and gave it to the... Uh, it's exactly like you said, Jesse. Uh, Hobbit was written early on. You know, He'd read all this stuff. Um, he wrote his own um, rendering of Volsunga Saga in the 1920s that recently came out. And hmm. then, yeah, in the 1930s, he wrote The Hobbit. So, yeah, this was all, I think, his creative... 
Um, his creative faculty wasn't completely sharpened yet. Um, yeah, not with the Hobbit. That's um, so. Yeah, it. he's just like, oh, I got all these great dwarf names. So he, he literally just plops. Them. So anyway, uh, just just to say that you're, you're, I think you're exactly right. I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't read this, because it's it, it, it's uh, striking to me how much. I mean, the morality is different in the Hobbit. You 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 got an Englishman dropped down into, you know, likes his pipe tobacco, dropped down <laughs> in the middle of these Viking. Uh, uh, obsessed dwarves who are off to kill a dragon. I mean, I, I was thinking about how crappy uh, the Hobbit is now. That you know, like <laughs> yeah. one of the things that always bugged me about reading the Hobbit is I, I'm not a big fan of the sort of the last half of the book. And one of the things is there's a character named Bard. I mean, that is just a weak <laughs> ass name. <laughs> you go to a lake town and there's just a guy named Bard. Bard. I mean, that's it's, it's, it's like that's just a crappy name, but when he goes into um, in Porter Lord and Rings, in Lord of the Rings, I mean, it's much more sophisticated. We've got the yeah. broken sword, just like we have in in this story, yeah. right? We've got the uh, my fathers, you know, were the kings of Helendil or whatever. Mm. Um, it, it, there's a, a richness to it that yes, it, it really elevates the. The text. I mean, I, I was really into The Hobbit as a kid, but I, yeah, I can't too. imagine enjoying it that way as an adult. Yeah, especially now that I know so much more about, uh, especially reading Lord of the Rings, it just really kicks The Hobbit's ass. Yeah, yeah it does. <laughs> but it's interesting. Not, there's not, you know, it's good stuff in there, but it's still, it's, yeah. And I think the ring in the Lord of the Rings is pretty masterful because it it gets at all this. Um, it it. At the same time, it both magnifies the the idea of the gold into this world-covering epic, but it also deeply personalizes it. So the external lure of the gold becomes this internal addiction to the ring. Mm. Um, and I think it, it manages to capture that same symbolism of this this fixation that the um, otter's gold has in this. Mm-hmm. Well, as a direct, a direct echo, a deliberate echo, the ring is referred to as Isildur's Bane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> And you know that's something that the, the the dragon's gold is is a bane in this for several generations yeah. to all who take it. And that's it's it's like I think that's like the message, right? That the kids mm. sitting around the fire, okay, yeah, you go out and be a great king, but don't get too obsessed with money. It's like it, it if you get too obsessed with money, you can become crazy. You, you're going to end up drinking your own kids or something. <laughs> 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 when when they kill the dragon. Right, that scene where they killed the dragon, and uh, was it Reagan says, uh, "Hey, can you uh, roast me some of that uh, dragon heart? I'm, I'm dying for it." And so, is it Sigurd? Is that Sigurd? Yeah. Sigurd says, uh, "Yeah, no problem." So he's roasting the dragon. Yeah, he doesn't say, "Dude, that used to be your brother." <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> he's roasting the dragon heart, and then he says, "Oh, is it done?" And he tastes tastes uh, uh, just the blood of the heart. And then suddenly he can he can hear what the birds are saying, yeah, right? Yeah. And the birds are saying, "You should kill uh, that guy. <laughs> I called you. you. You should kill Reagan because uh, he's out to get him. Actually, they're not even talking to him, right? They're just mm. talking to each other. The couple of <laughs> thrushes or whatever they're. Well, this you 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 know uh, that that guy he should definitely eat the rest of this heart. Uh, and take the gold and kill uh, Reagan because obviously Reagan's going to betray him." I'm like Jesus Christ! That uh, you know, <laughs> cannibalism really causes uh, brain damage real yeah. fast. <laughs> yeah, it's a Wendigo psychosis. 
It is, right? I mean, <laughs> he he he's barely tasted it and suddenly he's but it's like what are the kids thinking when they're hearing this part of the story? It's like don't eat my brother's heart. No, okay, no, that's not it. <laughs> it's 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 more like um should do they think he's mentally ill? Is it <laughs> or do they think it's it's just they just don't think about it too hard? What what do you think? I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. This is all written so before. I don't know. Kind of. I think it, it's. He's not berserker at that point, right? He's no, not no. A traditional it's, crazy man. I mean, I'm I'm not sure this is kind of a story where maybe it has a moral message. It's more kind of, hey, this, this is what happened in the olden days, kids, mm-hmm. and this is where yeah. the modern dynasties come from. Mm. Um, you have this rich, and it's kind rich of, legacy behind you, kids. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is emerging kind of in a time. It's, it's kind of it's after the Greek myths, where you know you have like things that we can recognize as almost like comic book characters, like Hero or Jason. Yeah. Uh, you know, like a Hercules. Odysseus is Mister Tricky, right? <laughs> yeah, um, and it, but it, it's, it's before you've got the rise of medieval literature, where the idea of the, the noble knight and mm-hmm. the ideas of good versus evil and. Um, you know, quests for love and honor. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of in this strange moral hinterland of kind of, yeah. well, you know, Sigurd is a hero. It's kind of, he did all this amazing stuff, but love is kind of, well, it wasn't actually very nice, was it? Well, I think one <laughs> of those. But he's, he's remarkable just for having done it, whether it's good or ill, That's right. I think. Did you, did you guys click through to the pictures uh, of the photographs of the Sigurd runestone in Sweden? This the, oh, yes. That page? Mm-hmm. Um, Sigurd looks like a monster. He looks like a giant. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know he's giant, but he his head don't look like a human head. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the standard look back then, but um, he looks like a monster. He looks like a giant or something. Well, I think tied into this whole morality thing, um, him being monstrous and, and all that, I think if there is any morality in a lot of these old Germanic tales... It is, at least among the nobles, in a weird way, is generosity in terms of giving gold. And mm. so the idea mm. of, I mean, you see it not in this so much, but in Beowulf, it's, it's very, runs throughout sure. of, of Hrothgar giving, being a good king because he gives out gold. And so this idea in Beowulf and also here, I think, that hoarding gold and you know, not, yeah. par- not participating in the culture and the economy is a very, a very bad, bad, bad thing. Mm-hmm. I, I think about uh, you know I was thinking about this Odysseus gets into trouble in the Odyssey. We we don't find out exactly why he's in trouble until you know about halfway through. Uh, but or yeah, about halfway through. But it all started because he was a bad guest, right? He goes into a house, yeah. Nobody around. He starts mm. eating the cheese, dinner, <laughs> hanging around. Mm, comes the owner and he says what the fuck are you doing in my house oh see <laughs> some cheese uh, that's fine i'll just eat some of you right and turns out uh at the end he says uh you know he's left the the giant uh a cyclops blinded he says oh and ha 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 my name isn't really nobody my name is odysseus and i'm from ithaca <laughs> and then reaching up into the sky uh, the Cyclops says, what's it, Polyphem- Polyphemus? Yeah. yeah. Polyphemus says, oh, uh, Father Poseidon, get that fucker. Get that- <laughs> <laughs> As that it says in the original Greek, Greek, yes. It's, it's mm. sort of this pride in, in, you know, Odysseus is super tricky, super smart, 
Uh, but he takes a little bit too much pride in that action. And most of the time, he's you know he's the problems are caused by his men, not by him. Yeah. But in this case, the problem that you know makes him not get home for ten years is his pride. And I don't know if like the people would obsess over that issue when hearing this story back then, but that's really his problem. In this case, it's not pride. It's it's sort of it's hard to say exactly what it is, but it's definitely a whole lot of don't don't be don't be hanging around the Vikings, maybe. <laughs> yeah. They're kind of dangerous people, they'll, they'll cut you up. Yeah. For dinner. Well, I'd love to talk about Wagner, but I don't like opera and so I've never um... <laughs> Never listened to it or read much of it. Do either of you can either of you speak to how Wagner portrays all this? I don't like I said, I I know nothing about it. It's epic music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean I think I think it's more medievalized. Um yeah. honor going yeah. on. Mm. Uh, there's there's a touch more Arthurian to it as well, oh, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, it's that kind of um I mean you know, I mean I'm not hugely familiar with the Wagner than just the music but it, yeah. it, it, it seems to me it, it is kind of it's lost a lot of the Norse and sort of the, mm-hmm. the pagan roots to it um, and it's kind of yeah it's much more dramatic tell me tell me more about the magic ring I'm thinking yeah <laughs> never mind the fat lady singing tell me about the magic ring I'm sure he makes the mistake uh, of giving the Vikings horned helmets as everyone did in the uh-huh. 19th century yeah well yes mm. and still do in fact well yeah <laughs> Well, that just shows them for the devils they are, right? Yes. Because that uh, the, the takeaway is I really don't want to hang out with the Vikings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're cool people and all that, but um, I don't want to hang out with them. That's what, Watching the show, that show Vikings, um, it's it, it's not exactly following the saga of Ragnar Lodbrok exactly. Because, of course, you couldn't if it's supposed to be a historical show. None of the gods actually appear on the show, right? Mm-hmm. But um, they believe in the gods and they follow the the chronology as best they can. You know, he goes a raiding and he has special seeing on the water and stuff like that. They 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 figure it out a little bit. But at one point in the show, they do the blood eagle, which yeah. may or may not be <laughs> something that actually was done, but it's very well described, and I would suspect they actually did do it. Um, because people do all sorts of horrible things, and it's true. Uh, that is extremely not cool. No, no. <laughs> if you're talking morality, um, not good at torture all. be bad. Uh, blood eagle be worse. Yeah, <laughs> it's it was really bad, and the way they do it on the show, it's really profound because um, there's this baddie who's you know not really that bad. He's just another. He's an antagonist, I <laughs> <Yeah>. guess. And <laughs> eventually they trick him. Uh, you know, our our hero is he's like Odysseus. He's very wily. Um, he's always got plans within plans, and he's getting his stuff done. Uh, and eventually he tricks him, uh, the baddie, I guess, into uh, falling into a trap. They're surrounded. They capture him, and they judge him. And they say, yep, it's Blood Eagle for you. And the guy <laughs> says, I'll take that. <laughs> and he does and and then they say to him you know and of course if you can get through it without uh screaming uh you get to go to valhalla 
And what do they do? They do it, and he does. It's sort of like a Hogni in this who um, laughs as they cut out his heart. Exactly. It's mm. it's so not. Like, <laughs> I don't want that religion. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> it's really not good <laughs> <laughs> because it's too painful. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm glad we've got progress. It's it's also I, I mean in I, I got a sense of humor out of Beowulf. I mean I didn't say there's a lot of laughs in there. No, but here there's no laughs. There's no laughs. There's no laughs. They're all kind of like oh my god. <laughs> there's not a lot of laughs in here. And if there are laughs, I don't want to hang out with you because they are really scary. And some of the Norse poetry though is funny. Like there's this um, poem called. Um, uh, it's called Lokasena in the Norse. It's like the insults of Loki. And essentially there's this feast where all the gods are feasting and Loki's not invited. He's the black sheep or, you know, whatever. And he, he bursts into the mead hall and starts insulting all the gods one by one. And ah. it's, So they, they do have a sense of humor. But, yeah, it does not appear here. There are, there are some insults in here that are bordering on jokes, but they were, they were kind of weak. Um, uh Somebody invades somebody's land, and they they send out a representative to see what's going on, and then they start trading jokes like uh, "You're the son of a mare," and they say, "Oh yeah, I'm the stallion that screwed that mare." <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> your mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're 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 a little bit tame, even. Yeah. Compared to the actions that they actually do, the the insults were kind of tame. Yeah. But I think for them that they were supposed to be really bad. Like, you're a bondsman or something like that. But, <laughs> oh, wow. no, he did Oh, no, no, you didn't go there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, isn't it like Falconer says to Sigurd, oh, you're just a bondsman. How is yeah. this possible? Oh, I used to be a bondsman. I'm not now. I've killed you. Yeah. <laughs> he, he does do a lot of talking while he's dying, doesn't he? They all do. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's like a Hector in freaking uh, the Iliad. It's like, goes right. on for a book. Uh, yeah, and see there that the trauma there is in is not in you know like uh, there are there are a few crunchy you know head choppings or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the the trauma, the moral trauma in that part is when the body is dragged around. Yeah, the the walls of Troy, right? The the oh you're 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 defiling his corpse. Yeah. Which seems like to us, you know, that's I. It's not a good thing. Yeah, but it's not, not like the end of the world. Dead, yeah, right. Yeah, it's not the end of the world. It's not a good thing. It's disrespectful, certainly. But uh, that disrespect is like the worst thing you could do. Yeah, and so that that uh, when he, you know, eventually gives it up, gives up the body, um, that's like, oh, he saved himself. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, Antigone too. The other the Sophocles follow up to. Uh, the Oedipus trilogy conclusion is all about um, the burial of burial of the dead, and and that's where the whole conflict there comes from. Mm. With, um, uh, Vikings are, I guess, more about uh, more about the, um, the the burning the bodies, or I guess you can be buried under a hill or something. Yeah. Well, they, they used to bury their dead and pile big cans of stones on them, right? Um, mm-hmm. For fear they'd come back as a drugar. Yeah. Um, which were kind of a reanimated corpse as a the, as as a lot of things in the Viking world, the dead would believe. Given half the chance, they'd become evil and violent, um, <laughs> just as they were in life. Yes. <laughs> this is this. These are the insults that are, that are bordering on funny. Um, 
Acting on Sigrun's risk, uh, risk wish, Helgi, Helgi's a guy, assembled, assembled a large convoy of men. Uh, and then it says, uh, Sinfjordi. Yeah, again, I'm at the Ikea catalog here. <laughs> With Helgi was a man who knew how to speak to kings, and he shouted to the men on the shore, After you have fed your pigs and kissed your bondswoman, inform Hodbrod that Helgi is here to do battle with him. Hodbrod's father answered, You lie about noblemen. <laughs> very sophisticated in response. Oh, it is man. obvious that you know nothing of ancient lore. <laughs> oh, snap! Oh, burn! <laughs> you are one who sucks the blood of cold corpses killed by wolves. Ooh. <laughs> That's <pretty> good. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> replied, uh, You should know something of wolves. I'm the one who sired nine wolves by you. I was the father of your wolf children. Ooh. Hodbrod's father answered, You lie again. <laughs> you could not father anything because the giant's daughters gelded you at the rassness. Sinfjoldi responded, Have you forgotten that you were a mare to the stallion granny? <laughs> then after you served as the giant Golnir's goat herd. Oh, snap, you're a goat herd. Hod- Hodbrod's father answered, I'll not stand here quarreling with you any longer. Instead, I'll feed your corpses to the birds. <laughs> that he wrote back to the king. Yeah, I don't um, think that I- translate well. I think in alliterative, Old Norse alliterative verse, they might have had a lot more punch just because of the mm. rhythm rhythm of them <laughs> I, I i thought i thought uh the william morris and whoever the other guy was translation was it was okay, there was, okay. there was a lot of illiterate uh illiterate stuff going on there um either you read any william morris because he seems to be um he's he's sort of a pre-tolkien uh fantasist that i have not read anything yeah, of, I but no i have not wouldn't be on the world is his famous one huh? I'd like yeah, to, I've, I've not read any. I should, I should know because now it's easy to get a hold of. But, yeah. Um, totally. When I first heard heard about him, it was kind of like hence teeth finding an addition. <laughs> <laughs> so um, speak the horse, um, Granny um, Sigurd, Sigurd's horse, to more Tolkien stuff is a definite right. shadow facts um, totally. inspiration. Yeah, it, it's it, it, the horses and the swords get names. The bonds people don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's one thing that's totally missing from Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, right? Slaves. Oh yeah. There's no, the, there's no, no, no even hint of slaves. Well, there is that. Um, I mean, that's the promise of Mordor when, um, when Gandalf is talking to Frodo about um, Mordor coming, and and Frodo's like, "Well, why should he care about the Shire?" And Gandalf's like, "Well, having you having you as slaves, even if he doesn't do anything with you, is better than and then l- knowing you're running free." Mm-hmm. So and slavery is kind of invoked as a bugaboo. It's a threat. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a threat. But no, you know, there's no, uh, you know, the uh, butterbur doesn't have a thralls <laughs> running his his establishment, right? I don't they're know, all, Bob and Bob and Knob. Yeah, they're not. They're not. And slaves, he treats but, them as yeah, they're more they're, like apprentices. Yeah, than exactly. It's much more. I love advanced. them. They're great. <laughs> But yeah, I say in the middle of the be largely sort of free societies, and um, it's like no one really rules the hobbits. <laughs> yeah, they don't even uh, rule themselves. There's no like no, council no. or anything, right? Mm. You can't build a hobbit house there. I, I'm that's my hill. <laughs> <laughs> I've got south southern facing exposure. Fiddlesticks. <laughs> <laughs> Although 
Although, you know the way Mr. Um, Mr. Frodo uh, gets respect from Sam? Mm-hmm. It's almost like Mr. Frodo is a lord and Sam is, uh, you know, one of his tenant farmers. Yeah. Um, that, it's, it's definitely a, cl- a class system in the yeah. Hobbit. So yeah. <laughs> but it's not like, you know, he, he, he's Mr. Frodo. He's not like uh, Lord Frodo or Baronet Frodo or anything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, it's very uh, 20th century, I guess. Yeah. It's just kind of weird that the Baggintys can afford a gardener. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He's just an employee. He's an employee, I guess. So, yeah, we've come a long way Share from. Sharecropper? Like, Sharecropper? <laughs> Share Say Sharecropper? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I think that might be what's going on there. Maybe. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.